Hey everyone, it's Rosin, and I just wanted to give a quick warning and apology in regards to this episode of WAFP that you're about to listen to. So when I went to record this uh, with Zach, for whatever reason, Audacity decided to use my webcam microphone and not my actual microphone, which sucks. That's never happened before. So, uh, yeah, I went ahead and make sure that one happened again, and I'm going to make sure to keep an eye on that from now on. Um, so I did my best to clean up my audio. Zach is going to sound completely normal and fine, but uh, I'm going to sound a little bit like a potato, so that's unfortunate, but I think it's mostly listenable. Um, there's one point where my leg was starting to get sore, so I start to walk around and carry my actual microphone around, but because it's picking up the webcam mic, uh, you could hear me, but just talking from a distance, so I had to make that part louder, and that part's kind of real bad audio quality wise but luckily it doesn't last very long um altogether i did my best to salvage it and make it at least tolerable so real sorry about that it's not going to happen again but i just wanted to give you a warning in case uh it was bothering you and you were wondering why i sound so bad this episode so yeah sorry about that anyways i hope you enjoy the podcast though we make fun of death note and it's fun bye gonna do this on we're gonna do this on three two one go what why have you suddenly started asking but that's what zach expects me to do what am i gonna do he thinks i'm gonna start the podcast off by introducing us with fake names like i usually do but he might be two steps ahead of me and think that's how we're gonna start waft i don't know what to do this game of three-dimensional chest. Chests, not chess, apparently. That's what we're all about on WAF. Chests. Locking things in boxes, Zelda-style. We let's play Breath of the Wild. It's pretty good. You should go watch it. See, the real thing is, this is all a Death Note joke. Leading up to me advertising my other Let's Play project to you. Please go watch it. It's really good. Hello everyone, this is Rosin. Welcome to We Are Finally Podcast. I'm Rosin. I'm Zach. Yeah. That was a nice, normal intro. Mm-hmm. It was totally normal. Anyways, yeah, so uh, Death Note on Netflix came out, and it's shit, but we're not going to talk about that yet. Uh, Zach, you gave your soul to Satan, and you're playing, like, internet card games now. Tell us about that. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Zach. Um, I... I'm playing internet card games, as a matter of fact. Uh, Hearthstone is the game in question. I started playing this game for one particular reason. Well, two reasons. One, my boss kept talking about it, so I had to check it out. Two, um, so on the last podcast I mentioned that I was playing Nier Automata. Um, I did finish that game. Oh, shit. Like... A through yes. E? Yes. Um, and after that, I mean, I, I figured that it wouldn't, it wouldn't really be worth talking about here, because, again, you guys had a whole podcast about it. I do want to hear your thoughts, though, but, yeah, let's, let's we can t- talk about card games first. Yeah, so after, well, it kind of ties together, because after 
Near and Near Automata, I was kind of like, I need something. I need a video game to play that is not a big story emotional thing. <laughs> so I went for the most opposite thing I could get from Near, which was Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I really enjoy opening up loot boxes. <laughs> um, so I get that aspect of it too, opening up card packs. What I wasn't expecting was that I really fucking love Hearthstone. Nice. <laughs> um, thought it would just be a thing that I did like once or twice, but no, I'm logging in every day, playing at least an hour of it every day. It's uh, a lot of fun. The most fun I've had with any card game. Granted, I've never gotten super into card games before, but it it's probably one of my favorite things I've played this year. <laughs> Growing up, I went through, like, the different phases of shit, like, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! as, like, kids and stuff, and we got a little, like, when my when my friends got into, like, later in high school or whatever, they got into Magic, and I never really did, because I was kind of like, I don't want to spend the money on that, but, like, you know, occasionally someone would throw me a deck or two, and I'd, I'd play with them, and I enjoyed what I got out of Magic, at least in those couple years of playing it, like, somewhat, but, yeah. Hard games uh. are fun. I've they never are, tried Hearthstone, though. Hey, honestly, like, if you're ever in the mood, you should definitely check it out. It's on um, mobile, right? It is on mobile and PC, and you can have those two accounts linked. I can't run it on my phone, but I run it fine on my PC, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll uh, play you at some point, too, because mm. you can do stuff like that. I might try. I mean, it's free, so what the fuck do I have to lose? I mean, it's, other than getting addicted and spending an hour of my day on it and spending money, but, you know. It is That's how they get you. Free. So here's the problem with that. Mm-hmm. It's free. And you could totally play it free and have fun. But there's this welcome pack that's ten card packs for $5 plus an extra guaranteed legendary and it's a really nice way to get yourself set up with, like, a nice selection of basic cards. Mm-hmm. But once you've felt the rush of opening ten packs, um, you're probably going to end up wanting to do that again. So I did end up spending $10 on seven packs later on. Good. So I've spent 15 so far. I feel comfortable that I won't be spending any more money anytime soon. But I'm probably going to be one of those people that the next time an expansion comes out, I'll just drop 30 bucks on it, you know? This is good. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Just as a side note, as we're talking about withering our souls away to the dark forces of corporations and capitalism. Um, so, last night, the $70 model kit of my favorite Gundam mobile suit got back in stock. So I bought it. Last paycheck, I I spent $70 on a different, separate mobile suit model kit, so. Uh, They're so cheap, you say. They were. They were. They are. I've looked into it a little bit after watching your episodes, and I have seen that there are some, like, you could get, like, a fucking Zaku for 10 bucks, you know? Yeah. So, that's interesting. Honestly, like, it... It really, it all goes on the grading system. Now, okay, to be fair, that that's to a point, because, like, the only official one that I fucking, like, that you can get for my favorite mobile suit design, which is, spoilers, I guess, uh, the Nightingale, which is, uh, like, from a novel only, but there's, like, art for it, 
and they only ever made one actual official, like, actual kit for it. Though I do have, like, a Chinese bootleg SD version of it, so... Uh, Don't yes. buy Chinese bootleg kits, they work like shit. Like, they look cool when you get them set up, but, like, man, I never thought that the concept of putting a peg in a hole would be so hard to fucking manufacture <laughs> properly. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. It, like, I actually felt like I was breaking, like, breaking the thing, putting it together. It's just plastic, yeah. but whatever. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've made it a firm, like, I, I... As I've said on this before, I do collect figures, but, like, no bootlegs is rule one. Mm -hmm. And even if it seems like a really nice quality bootleg, it's... You you can always tell once it's all said and done. Yeah. Um, but that's just a personal thing. I, I know some people who, like, there... Some people I've talked to have said, like, hey, there's some really decent bootlegs out there, and, like, there are, like figures that are 80 bucks you could find a bootleg for 20 and it's good enough you know actually so, that's how i feel I, about this thing because it's like hey they never made an official like sd nightingale and like i'm just looking at it on my shelf and also too okay so this is the weirdest fucking thing that i never thought like like it's obvious these would exist the more i think about it but i just never like it never appeared as a concept in my head this is a limited edition bootleg like, I think there's only 500 of these made, and they come, like, pre-painted in this, like, nice, glossy, red, metallic paint. Huh. And I just paid slightly more for it than, like, unpainted, but it's just, like... It's weird knowing I own a rare bootleg, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, rarity is rarity, I guess? I guess, yeah. Speaking of rare, I managed to get my hands on an NES Classic Edition, actually. Nice. Yeah. I own both. Well, I will own both. Hopefully, like, Best Buy isn't like, oh, we overdid it. You're not they might be. Now. Yeah. Amazon already did, apparently. Yeah. And I know Walmart did, like, way earlier. Because, like, they, they were early by, like, two months or some shit, so. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they messed up. Fingers crossed. I don't really want it that bad. I, yeah. You bought it. I did. Literally, See, now, was... now you're stuck, because you've got the NES and the SNES, so now you've got to keep buying these things. So here's my problem. I don't think if I didn't have the NES Classic Edition, I would have bothered with the SNES Classic Edition. Exactly. But I saw Wario64, who, by the way, if you ever want to keep up with game sales or when things are available, fucking follow him on Twitter. He's a goddamn archangel. I don't know how the fuck he keeps up or does it. Um, and I, I'm convinced he doesn't sleep. Um, he's just like, oh yeah, uh, SNES Classic Edition is up on, uh, Best Buy. And I was like, I gotta make like a one minute decision here. Eh, fuck it, I might as well get the pre-order and I can cancel later. And I was like, I think I'm gonna keep it, so. Yeah, I mean, it, when in doubt, that's a good thing to do. I, like, I... Way back, I pre-ordered a Switch and ended up canceling it, so... Mm -hmm. Just, I had the ability to buy it up until the day it came out, you know? I have a very dark suspicion that when they make the Nintendo 64 Classic Edition, which is the real one I have, like, actual childhood nostalgia for, I'm not gonna be able to get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it'll, it'll be the two before it that I don't care as much about <laughs> that I managed to get. But it's yeah. fine. So you'll end up buying it from a scalper for a hundred bucks more oh god no i no i don't 
I don't do scalping shit for, like... But it'll have Ocarina of Time on it, Rosin. Oh, boy. <laughs> You've never played that game. I've never played that game ever in my life. Uh... <sighs> but, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue you, talking you, about card you games. didn't. Oh, no, I'm done with Hearthstone. Oh, okay. It, it's a very... I, I enjoy building the decks, I enjoy opening the cards, and I enjoy playing it, so... Mm. Fun all around. I actually wanted to say something, too. Okay, so... One thing that kind of had me on edge, and actually checking Twitter more often the day that Wario64 um, posted the link and was like, oh, hey, Best Buy has them up. I'm pretty sure this had to have been on purpose. GameSpot updated their article on... Hey, here's where you can pre-order the SNES Classic Edition. And they included links to all the different retailers, and they're like, just so you're aware, here's all the places you'll be able to, like, pre-order from. Which I kind of took as a silent nudge-nudge, hey, it's gonna happen later today. Mm. So, I don't know how GameSpot got that, but... Mm. Everyone talks to everyone. Yeah, that's true. Now, how is Nier Automata, though? I'm actually legitimately curious ab upon how you thought about that. Oh, um... Yeah, uh... Without going into spoilers or anything, um... I liked it a lot. I would say that... At the end of the game, I feel like the message that... It, the, the message that, I, at least I feel, he was trying to convey was stronger than the actual plot of the game. Yeah. That makes sense. So, like, it really affected me on that level. Um, but the plot itself was also really good. Um, if you want to know how I felt about that ending, um, I was listening to the final credits theme on the way home from work today and started getting choked up in my car driving home so it still is affecting me <laughs> yeah no that's been on my phone for a while now um yeah that's one of the best like endings ever yeah <laughs> <laughs> um that game kind of reminds me of persona 3 in a way the more i mm -hmm. think about it in terms of like that's a really good theme that I, like, chime with really well, but looking at the actual plot, even though I like it a lot, there's a few, like, kind of weird problems that are, like, could have maybe done a few pieces of this better, but... I feel like Yoko Taro gets a little carried away sometimes. Yeah. And I liked a lot of the things this game was doing, and then, like, I, I think I was talking to Antinomi at some point, and he was telling me all this, like, extra stuff, and I was like... I don't really know if I like some of that extra stuff. I kind of liked it better the way I thought it was. Yeah. So, it's not a perfect game, but it's probably my game of the year, so I'm yeah, going to that one. Yeah, <laughs> same. Like, Just because it, it it had an emotional impact on me and was something that is, like, staying with me in a way that, like, Persona 5's not, you know? I've never seen a game that every single area of it is a different exploration of a type of civilization, culture, philosophy, or governance. Like, straight mm -hmm. up. It is yeah. incredible how much is packed in there. Yeah. There's a... Uh... There's a lot that can be talked about that game, but mm. you guys already did that for like four hours. Yeah, I think we so covered that, that's it. Why, <laughs> that's why I felt a little bit like I, I, they don't need to hear my thoughts on it. I'm probably just going to be echoing someone that was on that eight-person fucking thing <laughs> yes. or whatever. 
No, um, but no, I, I really liked it. Um, more or less than near one? More than near one in terms of how it personally affected me. If I had to just look at the plots and the characters, there's probably stuff in near one that I liked more. Yeah. I think I think both games are very good at having moments. Yeah. There are moments from both games that I will probably remember forever. Um, but then there's also moments from both games that I could probably do without. And I would <laughs> say that Near One probably has more of those than Automata, for oh, sure. for sure, yeah. <laughs> so I think Automata is a better game, but I think that in terms of how much I like them, I like them probably equally for different reasons. Did you uh, do the bonus boss? Uh, no, but I looked it up. Okay, that's good. That's, that's good, <laughs> to be honest. Um, Near One has this thing that I keep thinking about of, like, it's a story about a man trying to reclaim his family and kind of finding another one along the way. And there's always an element of that that I think I'm always going to love a little bit more over Automata. But in terms of, like, thematic stuff and, in general, basically everything else, I think Automata is my favorite Taro game just because, like... Everything else is so fantastic. So last podcast, I mentioned that I was enjoying Automata, but I feel like its core theme that it was presenting was something that he had done before. Mm-hmm. And I would like to stand by that statement and also take it back. Yep. Because yep. It, is the, it is the same theme, but it feels like this is the first time that he's not just having that theme in the game. He is actively trying to say something about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's actually something really special, but that's kind of all I can say about it without spoiling stuff. He has a way of portraying similar ideas in very different ways enough to <laughs> yeah. keep you going for all of the different games. I feel what a Yoko Taro year I've had. Yeah. Honestly, we just, same. we, just today, uh, the last episode of Dragon Guard went up that yep. we're recording this on. And people so. liked it a lot. Yeah, we're, uh, I think we'll. I think it's safe to say we'll do Dragon Guard two in future at some point. At, at some point. At some point. Not like now, but at some point. Yeah, it, it'll. I'll, I'll. It'll be interesting to see the non Yoko Taro entry in the franchise. Yeah. Hey, guess what? It's not very good, but it's fine. Well. Um. Hey, to be fair, neither is Dragon Guard one. So no. fuck it. And neither is Dragon Guard three. So. <laughs> and hey, to most people, neither isn't good either. So hey, fuck it. Um. But yeah, yeah. that's the thing. No, I I think Automata. I'm at a point where unless so, I think I've made my case to people at this point. Mario 3D World is a game that is just pure joy crystallized down for me. Yeah. If Mario Odyssey manages to be that again, I might prefer it over Automata, but like also too, story tends to be a thing I heavily prioritize when deciding what my favorite games of the year are. And I highly doubt that Mario Odyssey is going to have huge existentialist themes that I can really sink my teeth into. <laughs> Unless yeah, they go I mean... real weird with the hat parasite thing. But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be real here, though. Mario is no Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, God. Is that our transition to Mania? If you want it to be. Yeah. Let's spin dash through to talk about the only good Sonic game. So, fuck you. (laughs) So, in addition to me being like, man, I kind of want to cool off from all these big story RPGs. 
I finished Near Automata the day before Sonic Mania came out. So, uh, that was kind of a very good cool down from that experience for me as well. Um, I feel like you should give your thoughts on Sonic Mania first. Um, I like it a lot. So I feel like I've mentioned this. I replayed Sonic 2 not too long ago. I'm like, that's a fine game, but there's like a lot of like shit with it that I actually just don't like. I really want to go back and play through 3 and Knuckles. I kind of want to play CD again, but everyone's like, just don't play through CD again. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Um, Mania, though, is a really fucking good game. And I feel like a few years ago when, like, you had, like, shit like New Super Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong Country Returns, like, all that sort of shit coming back, I feel like Sonic Mania is the first real version of that type of game design, like critical reintroduction of an old style of platformer where the developers went, okay, let's look at all the old shit, let's look at what didn't work, what worked, and how we can improve upon that, but still kind of not not innovate so much that it feels like something completely different. And I think Mania hits that really, really well, and I, I think it's my favorite Sonic game, just for the fact that, like, it manages to have all of the good stuff from the old games while also having, in my opinion, way better level design and pathing and stuff. It's pathing is super interesting to me because I don't know if I would say it's better. It's just very different in a way that appeals differently. Whereas, um, the older Sonic games, specifically like Sonic 2 and, and whatnot, um, they had multiple paths where it was always the better you were doing, the higher path you could take, which was normally faster and easier to fall off of, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Sonic Mania is way more just giving you options, and those options lead to almost entirely different levels. So if you're struggling with one path, you can explore and try to find a different way to go through. Um, I think there's validity to both. I think that in the end, I do prefer Sonic Mania's style. Uh, so I would agree with you that Sonic Mania has probably the best level design of the series. I think that it is hard to beat Sonic 3 Knuckles for me. Uh, partially because of nostalgia, of course. But also because that I think... And this is me being, like... Perhaps a little... Perhaps thinking too hard about it, but... Sonic 3 and Knuckles, even if it missteps once in a while, everything in that game was new. And while I really enjoy all the twists on classic formula in Sonic Mania, it does rely on what's come before a little too much. I kind of wish that... Because there, there's only four original, like, zones, aren't there? There are only four original zones, but even those original zones are... Some of them are, are pulling elements from uh, past zones as well. Like, one of them, if I recall, like, the first original zone is clearly also trying to be a casino-type thing in yes. some ways. Like, I noticed stuff like that, too. Uh, but, uh, honestly, that's one of my favorite zones in the game, though. But, uh, I, I... One of my problems with a lot of Sonic games as it moved forward was that they've struggled to come up with new ideas for levels. Like... Sonic 4 has a lot of issues, but more so than the physics, to me, I, I just found the levels to be boring, because it was just 
rehashes of what came before. And then obviously Sonic Generations I loved, but again, they were all old levels. Um, even like the Russian advanced games, you know, the themes there are all things that people have seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it is trying to be a carnival-like level, I think something like Hollywood studio level is actually rather fresh take on it. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the ones I didn't mind that much but then you go to something like uh and endless you have not beaten the game yet correct uh, i beat it I, oh, I, haven't, I haven't gotten all the chaos emeralds or anything yet but i, I okay. beat the boss so i've beaten it four times oh, Jesus. <laughs> um you should get all the chaos emeralds by the way there is a there is a another boss oh yeah I, I i've seen a clip of it okay um titanic monarch is an example um I love that level a lot, especially Act 2, because it has a very unique level design and idea. But then you've got stuff like, oh, these are the uh, ball orbs from Three and Knuckles bonus stage just put in here. Mm-hmm. And then a, a lot of that game is taking ideas from different levels and putting them in new levels. Like, hey, we've got Stardust Speedway, but we put the stuff from Marble Garden in there. Isn't that wacky? And, like, it's extremely fun to play, and probably, like, probably the best Sonic game, but it's the best Sonic game because it's taking all the stuff that was good about the old ones, whereas Sonic 3 Knuckles is the one that came up with most of that. Well, they didn't come up with most of that stuff, but, it like, everything in Sonic 3 Knuckles felt new. And mm-hmm. Sonic Mania, while very refined and fun to play, does feel less new you know what i mean i also think it doesn't help that like and i mean generations is trying something different but i feel like this is kind of the third attempt in a way yeah where it's like oh they tried doing sonic 4 and generations and like the classic stages and generations don't feel super great and then like they finally nailed it here man it's such a fucking shame this can't be called sonic 4 See, I was saying that up until its release, but after playing it, I really don't think it should have been called Sonic 4. Just because, because it's such a rehash so- of... Yeah, Sonic 4. Sonic 4 should be the next game they make where it's all new levels. Um, but I don't want to sound too negative on the game because I did love it. As I said, I've played it four times. And I'll probably play it many times more. But I kind of feel like my issue with the game is summed up best by the shields. That's a weird thing to say, but I know Sonic there's a lot. See, that's not that's not my issue. Okay. Because Sonic One had the bubble shield. Mm-hmm. Just just the regular, not the bubble shield, just the regular shield. And Sonic Two also had that shield. And then Sonic Three was like, let's throw in the elemental shield. So they they had the fire, the water, and the lightning shield, and they all gave you a special move. Mm-hmm. And Sonic Mania, as the follow-up to that game, said, well, let's bring back those three elemental shields plus the original shield from Sonic 1, as opposed to coming up with new shields. You know what I mean? And also, they have, like, the protective ring thing, which I'm pretty sure was in... That was in 3, right? The blue ring thing? Yeah. I think that's actually from, like, Knuckles Chaotix. Oh. I knew... Because I I had known that it had shown up before, I just couldn't remember where. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of pickups, and I feel like as a result, they're like, every one feels super rare, but it's not because they're actually rare, it's just like, there's so much other shit, you know? 
Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy the amount of pickups. I just feel like none of them are new. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's fine for, like, a celebration of Sonic's past, but uh, I would have liked for a little bit more originality in it. So that is where I hesitate a bit to say it's my favorite, just because on a personal level, I've seen most of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've not played Sonic 3 and Knuckles once every two years for your entire life, then you'll probably love it. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, as someone who played that game when I was, like, 12, and then I don't think I've played it since, like, a lot of it might as well be new to me, you know? Yeah. Like, it's literally been over a decade. <laughs> I, I, I think the main thing I'm happy about is that I do have a new classic Sonic game to play, so that when I'm in the mood to play old Sonic, I don't have to go back to Sonic 2 or Sonic 3, mm-hmm. I can just feel like, hey, I'm going to play Sonic Mania again. Yeah. Um, I would absolutely love to see what they do next, this indie team that they've created. Yeah. Hey, honestly, Sega's doing the right thing. When someone makes a cool fan project and, like, it's good enough to be official, fucking hire those people. Yeah, like, definitely. Pe- like, not saying certain studios could maybe learn from that but there's a lot of fan projects that get cancelled for no good reason well I mean obviously they want to protect their IP and stuff but like I don't know fucking hire people if they do good work Capcom did it even kinda I I think the thing about Sonic Mania is that it's one of the few examples of that where and this is going to sound really weird, but I've seen some people say, like, honestly, it does feel like a fan game. I'm not even saying that, because I think that the people that made this game have the creativity to do new stuff. I feel like maybe it was Sega that was like, well, no, 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 put in some of the old stuff, too, because they really liked Generations when we did that. Yeah, I could see Because Sonic that. Forces is also kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a train in the distance, I don't know if you could hear that. No, that's fine. But, yeah, uh, Sonic Mania, good game. So, but hey, Sonic was always good, so... Oh. Two and three are fine. Two and three are fantastic. Not as good as Mario, though. Oh, so much better than Mario. Oh, God. And you know what? You know what's better Sonic- than both of them? Sonic Adventure is better than Mario 64. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Everyone, give your, th- <laughs> give your thoughts in the comments about this. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sure we'll have a nice civil discussion that we can all look back on and be proud. Hey, you're the one that brought up the comparison to Mario. I wasn't gonna go there. Mm-hmm. Even though I think I already did. But you know what's better than Mario and Sonic? What's better than Mario and Sonic? Netflix's Marvel's The Defenders. Tell us about how good it is, Zach. I... Okay. You did not watch this. No. So... I'm not gonna spoil it. I literally know nothing. Other than I know people are saying it's not great. So, I guarantee you that knowing nothing about the show, 
you could probably say everything that happened today. Okay. There, there is nothing that's a surprise in this show. Nothing interesting. Nothing fun. It is the most basic, bare bones, dumb comic book schlock that they've put out yet. I keep seeing people calling it Budget Avengers, and that has me worried. I have also called it Budget Avengers, so I'm with them on that one. Mm -hmm. Um, The decision. (laughs) Yes, hey, so whoever decided that, hey, Daredevil and Jessica Jones did really good, people really like this darker, grittier more down-to-earth take on Marvel shows. Let's make the next eight things about fighting magic ninjas. <laughs> that person should be fired. Yeah. Because that's not why I liked Daredevil and Jessica Jones. Okay, so here's my... Th- here's what I've been wondering. I feel like the answer is no. Do you feel like it's because they decided to focus on ninjas? Like, do you think if Defender Season 2 builds up to a better antagonistic force, there is something to... Nope, not even that. So, the problem is that, well, yes, the enemy they are fighting is dumb and boring and the most comic booky thing they could have done. What do the ninjas even want? Uh, Eternal Life. Oh. Okay. Yes. But, like, the problem is deeper than that. Um, The team is not a good team. And I don't mean that in the sense of, like, I like all of these characters individually. Um, The writing does not support them as a group dynamic. Um, All of their interactions are predictable. And they all feel extremely awkward and like they don't belong in the same world as each other. When, when, when Jet, like, Jessica Jones is the one that's the most out of place because she doesn't belong in a show with. About fighting ninjas. (laughs) About, about fighting ninjas. And even like, okay, so like Daredevil's in a dumb devil costume. But Daredevil Season 1 was not the kind of show where I'd expect them to have a man with a glowing magic fist punching immortal ninjas. Mm -hmm. I really, I've said before, I did not like Daredevil Season 2. And that's what started this. And then Iron Fist continued it. And now here we are. And we've spent three entire seasons of Netflix Marvel shows on this magic ninja plot that ends in the most unsatisfying, predictable, limp way possible. Good. Um, I am officially out. Nice. (laughs) I may try Jessica Jones season two, just because I really liked season one, but even then I might not, but I am definitely done with all the other stuff. How the mighty have fucking fallen. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my thing, though, like, because I do want to catch up. Like, I've I've been on and off watching Jessica Jones for forever now. I'm almost done. Um, And, like, I love it. It's great. Um, 
But man, the thing that really appealed to me was the idea that it, within the same, like, collective universe, like, while the Avengers were, like, out saving the world from dumb space alien shit, and how that's fine, that doesn't solve the problem of, like, shitty father is molesting his daughter. Like, yeah, we're far removed from that. Yeah, and, like, that being, like, one of the core things of that Daredevil season, well, maybe you can make a case that's, like maybe a little dumb edgelord thing to like cheese it up to be like a convincing dark motivator for that character it like i think it does do a job in a sense of being like hey these are real world issues that we're dealing with and to have this this just turn into like a shitty low budget version of the movies is the worst thing in the world yep um and in a weird way so i know you haven't seen it Spider-Man Homecoming, I feel like, is maybe did a better job of the down-to-earth street stuff. Because I don't know how much you know about that movie, but it's literally about Spider-Man fighting some arms dealers in the in the neighborhood. Uh, no, I, I did not know that. I thought it was just comic book fight against Vulture Man. No, well, yeah, it is, but he the, his, he's not trying to, like, take over the city or do any crazy world-ending shit. He's literally just, like... Yeah, I want to sell it, like, alien weapons and, like, make money. Okay. It's, like, yeah, super... Yeah, I'll definitely watch that. Super low scale, and it's nice. And it's like, oh, wow, that's reasonably adult and small scale for a Spider-Man story, so... Still not Daredevil Season 1, though. Yeah. I don't think we're ever going to get a Daredevil Season 1 again. I don't. What makes me angry is that both Daredevil Season 2 and Luke Cage seemed like they were going to be and <laughs> both both pull the rug out from under you about three episodes in <laughs> uh i and it's a shame too because i feel like of all things i feel like daredevil season one was the thing that carried over i think in the most like raw way that spirit that the original dark knight had absolutely and then, like, I don't think there's anywhere for that to go. Oh, hey, actually, you heard about this shit with the Batman movie? No, I did not. So the dude who's directing the Batman now, who's, like, I, I think Ben Affleck was actually supposed to be doing shit for that, and then, like, they're like, no, you're just going to be Batman now, and you're not going to have any, like, creative shit. Well, I think uh, it was him that backed down, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, it's There's too much drama with this fucking <laughs> shit. Um, well, actually, I should even backtrack from there. So they announced that they want to make, like, a Joker movie, like a Joker origin film that's not part of the DC Universe thing. Oh, they're so they're backing down. Yeah, and the, the dude who was in charge of it was like, yeah, we want to prove that we can make DC stories but not feel, like, tied down by the shared universe. We, you know, there's different stories to tell in different universes. <laughs> Um, which sounds a lot like backing down. So then, a few days later, the dude who's in charge of doing the Batman was like, yeah, it's not going to be a part of the DC universe. <laughs> so he later clarified earlier today that he actually just meant it's going to be standalone and not tie into anything, but will still be part of the universe. Yeah. But it still kind of sounds an awfully lot alike he doesn't want to be part of that universe. Sure does. 
It's so, almost yeah. like when you've got like three bad movies, you don't want to like you know with throw an upcoming out the entire... probable fourth. Oh god! Oh god! Justice League is coming out soon, huh? Yeah. Oh boy, did that get the most fuck? That's the most awkward time. Hey, so anyways, if you've been not paying attention to the news, Joss Whedon's ex-wife just totally pulled the rug out from under him and was like, "Yeah, he's a piece of shit." Um, did you see that at all? I did see that. Yes. Yeah. So boy, am I sure that people are gonna be ready to fucking tear apart Justice League now that it has the one-two punch of being partially done by Snyder and partially done by Joss Whedon. Um. Not to mention that, boy, I'm sure that Joss Whedon is no longer going to be part of that Batgirl movie being made. Oh, I think he still will be. Oof. I don't think this is going to affect him much in the long run. Which is a sh- shitty thing, but... The the thing is, he made the Avengers, you know? Yeah. That's still a, that's still a name that means something to a lot of people. Unfortunately. Yeah. The dumb and I mean, they, they, <laughs> There are also a lot of people who, like... And I don't even necessarily think it's wrong to be this way, but there are a lot of people who don't let the the personal opinions on someone yeah. stop them from enjoying their work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's wrong to feel that way. I just think it's two very different ways of approaching media. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, for me, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I'll have to say, you know. Yeah. You see, okay, this is kind of a side thing. You see that rejected Wonder Woman script he had? I did. I did uh, not read it, but I saw that it wasn't the best. I, I, to be fair, I didn't read it either. I just saw some different pieces of it. No oh boy. The, the thing is, with, with that too, and it's important to keep in mind that, like, hey, it was probably rejected for a reason, but yeah. also, like, Writers, not everything they write is going to be the best, so, like, I'm not going to tear... Well, I mean, this was my opinion I had before the more recent revelations, but at the time I read that, I wasn't about to, like, condemn the guy for writing a shitty thing, but maybe, uh... Okay, my my favorite part of that script is there's, like, this really long paragraph where he's describing how great Wonder Woman (laughs) looks, and then at the end it's just, she's also barefoot, and it fucking killed me. Like, it's so transparent. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame the Defender sucks. It doesn't suck. It's painfully mediocre. Oh. Well. Yep. Speaking of things that are painfully mediocre? Hmm. Maybe not. Hopefully hmm. not. I'm gonna let you take this one over because I've I, I I see an agenda point, but I have no idea what you're gonna discuss with this. Oh well, because this is gonna be something we both have a lot to talk about, Juan. Yeah. So, uh, partially inspired by you talking about it a lot more, um, also partially inspired by the fact that I first started this conversation literally a year ago. Also, ten episodes ago, on episode seven, um, I've been getting back into Gundam. Hell yeah. So, I don't know if you remember that episode. I do. But, on that episode, you had just watched Thunderbolt. Yeah. And I had just watched episodes one through three of The Origin. Yeah. 
So on my new journey, I rewatched one through three of Origin, watched four of Origin, mm-hmm. watched season one of Thunderbolt, rewatched the movie trilogy, and have started Zeta. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about in terms of Gundam. Do we, should we go in chronological order? <laughs> fuck it, let's go in chronological order. So I, I knew you were gonna I knew you were doing some rewatching. I was gonna rewatch the OG movies, but like honestly, I've watched the series. I've watched I've watched the series once, I've watched the movies once. Th- those movies are like three hours each, I think, and I was like, I don't have time. Two, yeah, yeah, they're two each. Oh, okay. Um, so I just rewatched, I I rewatched episodes three and four of the origin cause I'd only seen them once since that conversation. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of more familiar offhand with one and two cause like I watched them a lot when they came out. Um, yeah. So on episode seven of Woth, mm-hmm. I have a lot of really high praise to give the origin. Yeah. I've cooled on it a little. Mm-hmm. I would still say that I like it a lot. I like the animation a lot. I still think that the 70s character designs with modern animation is awesome. Um, but sometimes the plot's not the best. I feel like they get a little too close to the George Lucas problem sometimes. They do. And, to be fair, in, in Episode 7, I did s- compare them to the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. I, I said that I feel they do the Star Wars prequel thing right. Mm-hmm. I would like to amend that as they do it right sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like, personally, um, Movie 1 is pretty okay. Mm-hmm. I really like the political stuff in movie one. Yeah. Um, the actual character stuff with Char towards... Char? Char, whatever. Char. Um, towards the end. Not as cool as I felt it was a year ago, but still pretty okay. Um, I think movie two is really good. I think movie three is by far the best one. Yeah, for sure. And I think movie four is a piece of garbage. That's fair. I, Movie four so bad. I feel like that's the one that you appreciate more if you've seen everything else. So my problem with four mm-hmm. is that it has no focus. Nope. Um, one, two, and three all have a very singular focus in what they're about. Four has no focus. Um, I think movies one, two, and I'm calling them movies, they're really OVAs, but yeah. one, two, and three all have a very singular focus in which they are about one thing in their plot, and they normally are focusing on one, two, or three characters. Um, four is the one that feels like it's trying to be a prequel to Mobile Suit Gundam the most. Yep. And the sense of like, Here's Amuro, he's a piece of shit, right? Oh man, his dad said the word Gundam, cut to Amuro, and oh, Gundam? Oh, where's, where's, where's Char, 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 where's Caspel? He's, 
he's over here. Uh, oh, it's Lala. And then, oh no, uh, he's not in the army anymore. Uh, but now he is because he needs to be there for Gundam. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was a fucking mess. <laughs> I so there was a somewhat very important part of that movie. I just totally didn't pick up the first time I watched it and only caught it about like an hour ago when I rewatched it. I didn't fucking realize that the so like there's like the moon fight and like they meet up with Char. And I knew that the main dude leading them was Ramba Rawl. I didn't fucking pick up that the Black Tri-Stars were the other three people. Who? Um, they're kind of important. I I think I'm pretty sure they're in the movies. Maybe. Um, they're like in. They're kind of close to the beginning. They're like a fan favorite. Like they're they're three like mobile suit pilots that are like called like Gaia. I can't even remember the other two like two names, but. Um, yeah, they're kind of, like, fan favorites. Like, right at the beginning of the first or whatever, one of, one of them is also the guy that says, like, oh, that Char, he's, like, a veritable red comet. And, like, okay, finds okay. the term. They, they show up, like, they're, they're kind of, like, three, like, elite pilots that show up in a lot of, like, early shit like that involving Xeon, because they're, once again, fan favorites, so. But I totally didn't realize it was them until someone said Gaia, and I was like, wait, that's one of them, so. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I don't... I mean, they're probably in the movie. I just didn't pick up that they were a thing. Because, hey, those movies, you can tell sometimes that it's compiling a bunch of TV show stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of, I know we're going in chronological order, but I do want to say one thing that you talked about mm -hmm. uh, in terms of origin last time we talked about it a year ago, which was you said that you don't like how much interaction he has with the Zabi family early on. Yeah. Um, I feel the same and opposite in the sense of, I like that he has interaction with them. I feel like it's kind of the wrong interaction. Because upon rewatching those movies, um, there's some stuff in there that I've forgotten about that I think would have been more interesting than what we got. Specifically, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler for towards the end of the main series Gundam, but fuck it. Um, I'm, I'm going to butcher all these fucking names. Cassilla? Cassilia. Cassilia. Uh, when she finds out who he is, she's not trying to assassinate him. She is one of my big problem characters for the origin, too. Yeah, because her main thing is... She's actually, she seems kind of happy that he's around. And when he questions that, her reasoning is, you probably don't remember it, but we used to play as kids. Yeah. And their only interaction is the in the origin is when she's already an adult and trying to fucking kill him. <laughs> um, so I guess there is some clarification. So the origin as an OVA series is based off of a flashback arc that was in a manga called Gundam The Origin. Yes, yes. Which was written by the dude who did a lot of character work. Like, I think he did, like, character design and some story stuff for Zeta onward. And then he, they, he, they gave him the okay to, like, kind of remake the original Gundam story as a manga, and he wanted to, like, kind of, like, 
make it a little bit more grounded and political and make some things make more sense. And he added this huge, giant, like, flashback arc that fleshes out all the Char stuff, and that's what got adapted into the anime. Yeah. Um, Which I'm I'm fine with... My problem isn't that it's like, oh, it's an inconsistency, a plot hole. My problem is I find the original series interpretation of that dynamic more interesting. Yeah, Yeah. Um, because... He he did state that it, not everything does line up, and to be fair, like, then later on in the manga, from what I understand, like, that stuff does reflect the flashback arc. Yeah. Um, but I do agree. I think Cassilia's characterization is one of the worst... So, like, at least in the show, from what I remember, she is very clearly bad. Like, she is a piece of shit, but to the, like... Not so much a piece of shit that when fucking Giran kills their own, like, dad, she's like, okay, no, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like, she clearly has a moral standpoint at some point. She's not a psychopath, like, in the fucking origin. (laughs) Yes. And and I got the impression with a lot of the zombie family that most of them are probably fine. They're just on a certain side of that conflict. The problem with the zombies is that Garma's generally fine. He's just kind of a spoiled brat. Dozel is like a good father figure. Cassilia's kind of a jerk. Giran is Hitler. Yeah. You know? And and Hitler's the one leading things. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but, uh, overall, I still think the origin's pretty good. I think 3 is legitimately, like, one of my favorite Gundam things still. It's really good. I really, really liked 3. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of it for the origin for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Actually, didn't, apparently the, uh, scene where, like, apparently in the original manga, that dude who, um like, gave Char the mask or whatever, was just, like, his original roommate that got kicked out in favor... Well, actually, no, he was his roommate in the show, too. Um, that dude is, like, super not important at all other than being Char's roommate, and he just takes a bullet in that fight. I think it's kind of cute that he's the one who gives him the mask and shit and, like, kind of finds out his identity, and Char's like, oh, fuck, this is a problem. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of that. Um... I will say, so I know I complained that earlier, Waft. I still think the one thing at the end of 2 where Chargers goes batshit is kind of bad. Um, but 3 and 4 kind of fix it for me where they go back to, like, manipulative Char, who is like, I'm just gonna fuck over people. <laughs> so, I still think that we disagree on his character a little bit. Okay. Mostly because I, I and again, I, I know there's Zeta stuff to come and all that. But I feel like he's not... I, I don't see him as entirely some emotionless uh, sociopath, because at the very least in the original Gundam, he does clearly have emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, like, uh, like he... He's he doesn't have romantic feelings for Lala, but he's upset when she dies, yeah. to the point of he does shed a tear. And he's alone when that happens, so I don't think that that was for show on any level. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think there's something there. I just think that he's able to turn that side of him off for his goals, yeah. in a way. So, 
I mean, being a sociopath doesn't necessarily mean you have no emotions. It's just also no empathy. Like, you don't care who you fuck over sort of thing. Right, yeah, sure. Um, but I, I feel like that... I guess it's just, for me, the interpretation I have of his character doesn't make that scene at the end of 2 where he's kind of, like, still young and still it's still not sure what he's going to do exactly that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. The bigger problem comes with, count, like, Char's counterattack, which I'm sure you know exists. Um yeah where Char kind of just goes batshit. And a lot of people, when that episode came out, were like, were they trying to, like, retroactively foreshadow that? I mean, maybe they were. Um, And that's the thing, that's actually one of the common critiques of that movie, is people don't like how they handled his character. So. Um, But yeah, do you have any more thoughts about the OG trilogy? (laughs) Um, not too much. It's, it, it can be a hard watch, especially the first two, just because it's very dated and there's, like I said, you can tell that it's compiled from episodes. I still think it's a better choice than watching the whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the third one is still really good, like all the way through. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I probably enjoyed it more this time than I did the first time I watched it, even. Mm-hmm. And it also, was, too, yeah. I feel like Gundam is one of the things where when you watch the side shit like War in the Pocket and AFMS and all that, like, I yeah. feel like that does add some cool shit to Definitely. going back and watching. Oh, and I, I should clarify that I did watch War in the Pocket this past uh, New Year's, so. Yeah, I forced you to. It was a good time. Yes. <laughs> um, That's really good, too. Yeah. So. Also, hey, if you want to watch the dub, David Hayter gives a good pre-Solid Snake performance. <laughs> I think I did watch the dub. I think I told you to, yeah. Yeah, because I remember I remember recognizing Dot Hack actor in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's that outside? Is that a thunderbolt? I hear. Haha. Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt. Carry on. (laughs) No, you carry on. I'm I'm curious what you have to... So, the last time we talked about this, you just kind of gave a a brief synopsis of the show, and, like, I didn't know what you were talking about. So, like, I'm curious, you you don't like EO. EO's a piece of shit. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Uh, why? He is very clearly the villain of that show. I don't know if I would say he's a villain. Daryl is a good boy. He's a nice man. (laughs) Eo is sexually aggressive. He's very, very willing to kill people. Well, they're all willing to kill people. Yeah, give in to the jazz. He's just... He, he gives Give a, in to the jazz. Yeah. Oh, what a fucking monster. He gives in to the jazz. He has a lot of he has a lot of choice words to say about really wanting to, to fucking go out there into the battle and how he feels alive when he's killing. And then the fucking little, like, buddy Cornelius is like, he doesn't actually feel that way. The thing about that, though, is that I... I so what I liked about the character of American Thunderbolt is that he is portrayed that way in the sense of, like, he's super into, like, war. And he's out there and he's fucking, like, he's enjoying it. 
Um, so is the other character. I, and and that I feel dynamic. Daryl's justified more. <laughs> The the thing is though, there's a bit to again, Clever. I only watched season one, um, and actually, I I just watched the movie because I was told that it has everything in it plus a few extras. Yeah. Um. So there is a scene towards the end of that where they're talking and, um, Eo's like, "You're the same," and he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> no no," but he is. They they're all the the guy gave up. You know, so much for war. I, I guess we shouldn't spoil everything, but yeah, dude. The that... sacrifices he made f- to continue fighting isn't normal. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> what a great show! Um, it's really good. I thought it was just okay personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really good in terms of my level of enjoyment. I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did. I think that um, its pacing is a little off, and I think that its format hurt it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't think any of the characters get enough depth that they needed. We all we get a little bit for each, and I think things happen rather suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's all like technical level shit in terms of like characters and story. I think that it absolutely has the weight behind it to be super interesting. Mm-hmm. Man, that music, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah. That's Man. A, that's one that's actually very quickly becoming a fan favorite. Nice. Uh, I will watch season two eventually. I, I'm not going to get to it right away, but... Mm-hmm. I, I will definitely... And, and like, it, season one feels like a complete thing, too, so... Yeah, I honestly, when I saw that there was a season two, I was kind of shocked. Yeah. Like, that ending is perfect. Where it's just the cut to a Bawaku, and it's like, oh... <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Daryl, I guess. <laughs> That's the other thing I love about that shit, too, is he gives so much, and you you know at the back of the, in the back of your mind, you're like... Yup. This shit ain't gonna end well for him no matter what anyways. <laughs> I, uh... Yeah, and it's also a thing, too, like, so much... And, and to be fair, War on the Pocket touched on this way more and way better, but, like, so much shit goes down in this war, and it's only a year long, and, like, a lot of it didn't need to be that bad. Also, like... So I don't know if this narration is included in the movies, I can't remember, but every Gundam, like, OG Gundam episode starts with a narration that's like, within three weeks, half of humanity died. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, like, Jesus. (laughs) It's great stuff. Yeah. What a, what a series. Yeah, I like Thunderbolt a lot. I don't think I like it as much as Aethamas or War in the Pocket. Um, I get why, like, it is very, like, very close in becoming, like, like, I'm seeing it more and more when people are like, what Gundam shit should I start with? People are like, go to Thunderbolt, like, it, it's the new I, high I, shit. I, I don't think it's a good place to start at I don't all. think so either, because, okay, so, even if you don't agree that EO is antagonistic as I do, I think it's very clear that he is a spin on the t- typical Gundam protagonist. Yeah. Like, he's an asshole, and that's supposed to be shocking, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't think he's a, like, it's very representative of what other Gundam is, either. 
No, it, it definitely serves its it, it serves its place as like here is a good look at like gritty soldier action during this war. Because mm-hmm. honestly, like even um I I know previously uh, MS team was praised for that. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of like end game one year war conflict, this may do a better job of showing that. Mm-hmm. So, but I I don't think it's a good place to start at all. It um. It also, every piece of side material because the original Gundam, even though like it is very gray in some places, it's very clear the Earth Federation are the good people of the show. Uh, sure. It uh, maybe it's more apparent in the TV show. Um, no, yeah, no, I I understand of the show. Sure, okay. I do think they do an okay job of showing that there are are good people on the other side. Yeah, but as a as a overall whole, the zombies kind of bring them down a bit because yeah. you know the whole Hitler thing. Exactly, but then also too like there's. So these might have been expunged from the movies, and honestly, it probably would have been good, but there's totally a part of that original show where some random Xeon guy's like, fuck, it launched the nuke, and everyone's like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> um, sometimes they have their, like, you know, episodic villain moments that are real bad. <laughs> but then yeah, also, on, on the other hand, though, Rambo Rall and uh, Hamon, you so know? so good, yeah. <laughs> um... I don't know, actually, there's one episode I really like from the show, I don't, I can't remember if it's in, in the movies, is the time bomb thing in there? I don't know. Okay, so there's an episode where a bunch of, like, random Xeon, like, so I don't even think they're, like, MS pilots, they're just, like, soldiers that have, like, hovercraft, just kind of see the white base docked, and the Gundam is, like, out for repairs, like, just kind of outside, and they plant time bombs, and they just stand up on a hill, and they're like, okay, let's see if this fucking kid can, like, disarm this shit or if they're just gonna let the Gundam blow up and then of course Amaro like manages to disarm all the bombs and like all this other shit and then they just kind of drive up like yeah good job kid and they just drive away yeah I'm pretty sure that's not in the movie it's such a good episode and like everyone on the white base was like were those like Xeon and everyone's like let's not worry about it they were cool (laughs) It's, it's so good um but then also, too, there's, like, one episode that was so bad that actually when they were dubbing it, the people that made the show were like, don't include this, it was the worst episode we made, where there's an episode where the white base needs to go to an island to get more salt. Oh. It's really bad. But, yeah. Just watch the movies. Yeah. Um, but, no, like, the, the side materials definitely want to show, like, hey, the Earth Federation did some fucked up shit, too, and boy, does Thunderbolt have a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Designs are really good. I like the full armored Gundam uh, a lot. I actually have it on my desk being built right now. Nice. And the Psycho Zaku's cool, too. Speaking of the Earth Federation being dicks... Yeah! So... I'm believing in a sign of Zeta right now. This is good. How, give me an episode number. Uh... Five? Oh, six? Okay. okay. Yeah, I started, like, last night. Yeah, no, I watched the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. Um... The first two episodes, 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Just okay. Um, really didn't like the main character. He's just kind of a, a whinier, shittier Amaro. Isn't he and the worst? Amaro's already pretty whiny and shitty. Um, oh boy, you don't see nothing yet. <laughs> he He's bad. Um, and I was not really sure what was going on, honestly. But then episode three was probably one of the best Gundam things I've seen. Remind me what happens in episode three, because it's been about two years now. <laughs> uh, episode three is when uh, there's a, a capsule in Okay, space. yep, yep, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so I watched that and then immediately watched the episode following it. Um, that's fucking good. Yeah. That is real good. I'm excited to keep going on this, because I am way more interested in this than any other Gundam thing I've seen. This was... Okay, so this is kind of the most popular Gundam thing in many ways. Yeah. Um, this was the thing that saved the series in Japan, because the first, the first series did not do well at all as a TV show, but the merchandise did super well. This show is by far, like, the most popular in Japan, other than, like, some of this, like, they made some stuff later that rivaled it, but, like, this is kind of the one. Yeah, totally. And, hey, I did not expect it to go that far that quickly. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> <laughs> that is some shit going on there, man. Um, Camille is the worst. Oh, kind, he's so bad. I kind of love him for being the worst. <laughs> So he's the absolute worst, and that fact makes him more interesting than Amaro already. Um, there's actually, like, a very common fan thing that, like, people... Like, th there's, like, a lot of, like, different write-ups and stuff on this. There's a lot of people that, like, make a pretty, like, decent case for, like, him being somewhere on the autism spectrum. And, like, the more you watch it, the more you can see, like, yeah. he has a lot of the, like, if you look for different tics, he has a lot of, like, different very specific physical tics that he does, and he, he lashes out in certain ways that are very of that sort, and it's really interesting because I think they, like, they handle it pretty well, I think. All I would, I would go on a limb and say I don't know if I necessarily think... Or, or th think highly enough of 80s Gundam writers to have done that that subtly and respectfully at the time, mm -hmm. considering, hey, they're still struggling with some of that sexism stuff in this show. Oh, hey, guess, oof, okay, there's gonna be some stuff later. <laughs> hey, like, the, yeah, I, I don't know if I think that these writers would have had the tact to handle that that subtly, you know? I don't, um, I don't think, and to be fair, I think a lot of the people presenting that don't think so either, but in yeah. terms of making a character with ticks and certain, like, characteristics, a lot of people think maybe there's some basis in, like, maybe even if they didn't do that intentionally, like, they had some... It, it lines up well enough that yeah, you could... Exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, totally. Because he's clearly... He has... Something. <laughs> he has issues, yeah. Um, there's, like, also, to be fair, maybe isn't, like, the best. He's also kind of your stereotypical, like, savant with, like, no social skills, but is, like, a genius also, which... 
maybe not yeah. the best, but... Um, Still more interesting than Amaro. Yeah, and he goes places. How do you like Jared? <sighs> Who's Jared again? Uh, oh! Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. What what a fucking hero. <laughs> what, what a fucking... What a fucking hero, man. Like, okay... He did not realize he was doing the thing he did, but to then follow that up with old fucking baby, what are you gonna like? <laughs> also, fuck Camille's dad forever. Yeah, I don't really know. Oh, oh god. The, okay, man, I'm gonna spoil a tiny little thing. It's not gonna be a big deal. Yeah. But, but just the single line of like. Oh, but you, but your mistress is happy. Yes. <laughs> it's so like, I really didn't see any of this coming. <laughs> no. It's okay Fucking because mistresses. Yeah, it's okay because Quattro holds the show down. Yeah, he does. Quattro Vagina. <laughs> what? What a. Wonder who that guy. Wonder what his story is. I love how it, any possible. Like, any possibility of him not being that character is immediately gone as soon as he opens his mouth and is like, is that Lala or Amaro? <laughs> so not only is he... Not only is his first, like, line in the show, Amaro, Lala, but also every single time any other character sees him in his mobile suit, they go, a red mobile suit? Is that the red comet? Can't be. <laughs> Did you get to the part yet where he says something like, Ah, uh, yes, if you ever knew Char Aznable, he would want you to know that. <laughs> no! There's a, oh, part where he's, there's a part where he sits down with Camille and they talk about Char, and then Quattro says some shit like, Ah, uh, yeah, Char Aznable would have said this in this situation. Oh, Jesus. It's so bad. Oh, God. I love Zeta so much. Um, I'm, I'm in there. I'm excited. I'm probably gonna watch it slowly because hey, it's like fifty fucking episodes. Yeah. And I don't have I don't have a lot of time to power watch an anime right now like that. But mm -hmm. uh, I will watch that slowly and probably enjoy my time with it. Um. Yeah. Those also have compilation movies, but it's not handled as great as the original trilogies is. Yeah, I, I remember you telling me to go with the show for this one, and then probably gonna skip Double Z. Honestly, like, man, it's not worth it. It's bad. Yeah, probably gonna skip Double Z, probably gonna go right into Char's Counterattack, and then, uh, Unicorn. That's fair. I feel like Double Z is worth checking out. Okay, so here's the this is bullshit about Double Z. The first episode is literally a advertisement. Yeah. They recap Zeta, and then they're like, here's all of the new cast members. And then episodes two and three are some Looney Tunes shit. It's I ridiculous. Just, I, I, you know, maybe once upon a time I would have had the time to watch 50 episodes of that. And I know that Double Z does apparently get better towards the end, but I'm not sitting through it. It's not all worth stuff. it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, even if the Looney Tunes shit doesn't bother you, I'm, like, 30 episodes into that show. There are about 17 of those episodes I could have lived without. The plot never advances. It's terrible. But yeah. Um, <sighs> Zeta's good. I have some problems with it. Um, 
especially later on. Um, talked a little bit about sexism. Um, Oof. Um, there are some very, actually for the time, kind of foresighted elements of Zeta, and then there's also some very, oh geez, oh geez, this was written by a horny 16-year-old who got dumped for the first time things in that show. Oh, nice. Um, as, as of, as of like, now in terms of OG Gundam and Zeta, the sexism has been kept mostly to women can't do this, this is a man's job, and also there's a lot of ladies getting slapped. That gets expanded upon to be a very important thing in the rest of Zeta. Oh boy. Um, the one thing I will say is that there is one character later on that might as well be a pickup artist before that term existed. <laughs> and he is described as the worst disgusting human piece of filth ever. So that's at least good. Um, but there's some other really bad shit. Um, it's an interesting show to talk about. Um, um, but yeah, it doesn't let up on being fucked up, too. So Good. Uh, in many ways, I actually feel like you would not have Evangelion without Zeta Gundam. That's an interesting statement that you've made before, and is part of the reason why I really wanted to get to this, because that is intriguing to me. Yeah. You can already... Camille is a worse Shinji, actually, in many ways. Hmm, not, not too far off there, huh? Well, hey... Yeah, like, imagine if Shinji fucking hijacked Misato's car and then bailed out of it and then started crying on the dirt. <laughs> because that's, like, that happens. <laughs> In episode yeah. one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <sighs> uh, fuck the Titans. Yeah, jeez. Um, after you're done with Zeta, actually, even before you go to Shars Counterattack, you should check out 0083, which is the bridge between the original series and um, Zeta. Okay. It is, I think, the one piece of media I've watched that I was like, oh, geez, watching this after 9-11 is... Ah. And it was made in, like, 92, so... Okay. That, uh, that's not worth watching now, though, watch it after Zeta? I would not watch it. Until after you're done with Zeta, because Zeta characters show up. Okay. <sighs> so yeah, that's Gundam. That is Gundam. What a what a franchise. I like it a lot. It's, it's neat. It's not my kind of show, you know. Yeah. It's not what I'm normally into, but I feel like maybe that's kind of what I need right now. Mm-hmm. It's weird, because I feel like I like a lot of Gundam stuff, but I feel like there is very little of Gundam that I would say I have no problem with. <laughs> yeah, well. Like, it, everything in Gundam is in that 8 out of 10 camp for me, except there's a lot of stuff that, like, gets to 9 out of 10, and then, like, I really like AthMS a lot, even though that show has some ending problems. Um, and Unicorn's pretty fucking fantastic, too, but... Also has some ending problems, unfortunately. Um, so, just to clarify, which version of Unicorn should we watch? Because I know there's an OVA and then, like, a TV series that I, was, like... To be honest, I haven't looked enough into the TV series to give you a definite answer. Okay. OVA series was really good, though. I don't know if the TV series adds or detracts anything at all. Probably adds some stuff, I have to imagine, but... Yeah, I'll probably just stick with the OVAs, then. Mm -hmm. Um... Should... 
Oh wait, no, I still have to get through my shit. Yeah. Hey, this is this has all been me. Yeah. Aren't you guys glad that you've gotten like what an hour and a half of me? That's fine. So I want to talk. So I've been watching a little bit more Dragon Ball. I'm on like yeah, episode, you went, okay. Episode like twenty five ish or some shit. Not like too much to really talk about with that. Well, it's gotten me looking up more Dragon Ball Fighters footage. That's the that's the official name. They've they've said that now. Um, and luckily, uh, Bandai had an event where they just fucking had people come out and, like, play the fucking game, and a bunch of YouTubers, like, involved with fighting game shit, like, have a bunch of footage up, and, like, Namco themselves are putting up, like, footage and shit. Um, and it looks really good, and honestly, like, everything I want out of a versus-type 3v3 fighter... Um, man, part of the fun of Marvel vs. Capcom for me was getting the good, like, hit-by-hit combo that, like, you get a good feel for, and then ending it with a giant screen-filling beam, and boy, was Dragon Ball made for that exact thing, and it looks (laughs) great, and I'm so excited. Fuck the YouTube comments in every video for this shit, though. It's the worst. I know I've joked a lot. I know I've joked even two episodes ago on this very podcast. I unironically saw a comment that had, like, 48 upvotes that was like, man, fuck, this game of Turtles isn't in it. (laughs) And, like, man, I like Turtles. I think he's dumb. He's my boy. But fuck that guy. (laughs) So, I think that that is inevitable. It's gonna happen. Dude, Xenoverse and Budokai Tenkaichi 3 have spoiled people in terms of roster, even though those characters all play the fucking same and those games kinda suck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing is, too, that, like, that is a very specific branch of fan that is not here for a fighting game at all. Mm Mm-hmm. They just want to play as Dragon Ball characters. I think that, while, yes, that is obnoxious in a lot of ways... To, to play devil's advocate, if you will, I have also seen people on the fighting game side um, maybe relishing a little bit too much in the enjoyment of let's make fun of these idiots, which I feel creates more of a hostile atmosphere for a DBZ fan to jump in there with. Yeah, that's fair. So I feel like people need to maybe be a little bit careful about that. Just mm-hmm. saying. I, I also love the people that don't understand that 2D fighters still exist. That's my favorite. They're the only ones I care about. But, like, they're, like... I actually, like, never internalized that. But, yeah, I guess, like, it make Like, I mean, for the people that don't follow shit too much, like... They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, a bunch of, like... Because, like, let's be fair, a lot of these people probably only follow, like, anime licensed, like, fighters and shit. And, like, all those did go, like, kind of, like, weird pseudo-three-dimensional, you know? Like, I mean, yeah, you just stick with the Dragon Ball and the One Piece and the Naruto, you know? Yeah, those all went 3D, so, like, yeah. when you go back to, like, the 2D-style fighter, which never went away, but, like, to them, it's like, why the fuck are you going back to the this SNES bullshit, you know? <laughs> so... Like, even correct me if I'm wrong, those PS1 DBZ fighting games, like, kind of had a 3D thing going, didn't they? I don't think so. No, actually, no, they didn't. They did not. They were were 2D. I think Tenkaichi was the one that really brought that forward. Yeah, that was was it. Yeah, because even Budokai was still 2D, even though the graphics were 3D. uh, The first game, they went cel-shaded with uh, 2 and 3. Yeah, that's right. But... Fuck, man, this game looks so good. Oh, it's so good. 
I am not a fighting game person, and this game makes me wish I was. In the sense of, like, I don't know a lot of the, like... So I've bought Guilty Gear, I've bought Marvel vs. Capcom 3, I've got all these games that, like, I want to practice on so that when this game comes out, I can have the same fun that everyone else is having, but, like, man, it's super intimidating. Mm-hmm. If anything, in the initial rush, when there are people that are just there for the Dragon Ball if in there, you'll probably be at least, like, on equal, if not better ground than them, which is something. Yeah, but I want to have fun like everyone else I know. Yeah. Um, man, I know we talked about before, but just that, like, Android 18, 17 anti-assist thing. Oh, that's cool, yeah. Like, there's so much about this game that's just, like... Can I actually complain you... about one thing? Yes. Super Saiyan Blue, Goku, and Vegeta's lame. I'm sorry. Yes. That should have just been a skin. Yes. I don't even care if they have completely different movesets. There's no reason. I feel like they were forced in by marketing reasons, you know? You, you say that, but, like, then there's... I mean, we got Golden Frieza. Yeah. I, but, like, also, too, like, that shit could have just been, like, you gotta have some of the new stuff in there, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think Hit's gonna be in this game? I saw a lot of people in the YouTube comments wondering if Hit was gonna be in. Maybe. He's the one who freezes time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually wonder how much super shit will be in here, or if they won't cover I think it it'll be all. kept. I think it'll be kept to a minimum. Mm-hmm. I think we might get one, like, legitimately super character. I don't think it... I, don't, I hope it's not hit if we do. I, I would want it to be... Maybe even as, like, a DLC kind of, like, guest fighter-y thing, you know? Yeah, I would personally want Zamasu, but that's just me. But also super fucking sucks, so... Are you still watching Super? Uh, I'm, like, five episodes behind, but yeah. Kind of surprised that's still going... Hey, it's still going. But you know, it is a good anime. What's a good anime? So I watched Kara no Kyokai Movie 2, which I forget the subtitle of. Uh, Murder Speculation Part 1. Yep, okay. Um, that was, uh, I still like it. <laughs> there is a point where I'm like, why is this character completely di Oh, split personalities. Okay, I was not expecting this series to go that way. <laughs> um, this is where, like, it really, like... I've seen enough of this shit and the way this fucker writes that, like... <laughs> I got to a point where a character said... Ah, yes, I don't believe you murdered these people, because even though I do not have the foundation to believe so, I believe you are a good person. And, like, that's not how you structure a fucking sentence, but, like, if you're this guy, you do, I guess. <laughs> but, like... Keep I'm... in mind, it's Japanese. It is, but also, like... It's very clearly a Nasu thing, too, though. He has a very, very awkward way of writing. That He like, has a way of taking very basic words and stretching them to be as profound as possible. <laughs> That's a good way of thinking about it, sure. It's... 
And sometimes it's it works, I will admit. Other times it's just like, what the... Like, I have to rewind. I'm like, what the fuck is this even trying to get at, you know? <laughs> I've never had that problem, but uh, I, can, I can see that, sure. Um, I still like it, though. I think the two Shikis is a neat idea. I still have no idea what the fuck is going on with her family. I'm interested hey. to see how movie two loops back around to get to movie... Because movie two takes place before one, right? Movie two is the earliest point in the chronology. I cannot wait to see how that leads to one. <laughs> Do you want me to give you a mild spoiler that might be a disappointment? I don't give a shit. Um, they're not going to touch much on her family. Oh, okay. So the deal with her family is kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge to greater Tight Moon fans. Oh. Um, I she, feel like there's always a layer back. There is. No matter uh, what I look at. The, the Ryogi family is one of several um, demon killer families. Oh. And they're all raised with, like, weird, fucked-up things going on. When does the character who is a cameo in Fate Zero show up? Five. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, five is the best one. I like keep I hearing about five. It's the best one. <laughs> um, so, do you now understand why I said that there is no good entry point? Because movie one is a terrible starting place. Movie two is a movie two. You will understand what is going on better, but it is super not representative of other. Karen Kyokai. I can see that. Because like, like the, just having the, watched one to two, they are very different movies. There and and for the most part, the series is closer to one. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I like Shiki a lot so far. Kind of so-so on the dude. I hope he gets better. Uh, he's a Titan Moon protagonist. Yeah, honestly, that's a recurring theme I'm noticing. I'm not caring. Like, it took me a long time to even like Shiro. Hey, Shiro's his best one. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Um, I, okay, so Shiro's his best one. Uh, the Tsukihimi guy has an interesting element to him. Okay. Um, Nikia, who is Karno Kyokai guy, is kind of a bland middle point between the two. Okay. Um, the reason for that is because Mikia is not the main character of Karen Okokai. Uh, Shiki is. Yeah. And because of that, Mikia has the same, like, good boy quality as, like, Shiro, but without the main character shit behind it. Mm-hmm. So. I think my thing with Shiro is they started exploring that shit way too late for me. Like, I loved it when it started happening, but it took a while to get there. That's fair. Because, like, I feel like still, if, I'd, if I had watched, like the first five or six episodes of Unlimited Blade Works, and I had, like, stopped for whatever reason, my impression of Shiro would be, like, he's kind of bland, and then sometimes he'll, like, try to, like, run in the way of the fight to, like, save the girl, you know? Yeah. And then you understand more about there's more shit there, but it's not a good first impression at all. 
For um, sure. And and that kind of pacing maybe works better as a visual novel, but as an anime, yeah. I, I, Honestly, like, I, I actually, I wasn't going to reference this. I started reading a little bit of the fan-translated, like, novel version of Kara no Kyokai at work Ooh. the other day. I um, hear it's not great. It, I, to be fair, I only read, like, two pages. I don't think that fan translation's the best, but I'm also not entirely sure. I can never tell if it's the fan translation or the way he it, writes, or probably both. In that case, it, it's normally both. In that case, it's the fan translation. I've heard not great things about it. Okay. It it was weird. Yeah. Uh, one of those cases of the, of the translator kind of adding their own flowery bits in there and, like, changing the meaning of words and trying to add their own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you're going to stick with release order, right? Yeah. Okay. That'll be interesting. So now we go back to following up on one, right? Uh, no. Okay, So three is three... a sequel to two? No. <laughs> Fuck this. The, the order of... The chronological order is two, four, three, one, five, six, seven. Oh my god. Um, so three is set before one. <laughs> It's also, it's not the worst one. The worst one is six. Six is fucking garbage. But that's because uh, Mikia's sister is a terrible character. Um, and hey, there's shit in there you're going to fucking hate. Okay. Uh, guess what it is. Uh, um, uh, but the thing with three is that it's the darkest one in a lot of ways because it deals with a very serious subject that is not handled at its best. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, um, Judging yeah. by other Nasu shit I know, I think I can make an educated guess, but I'll save that for people's imaginations. I'm going to give you a personal warning. Uh, movie 3 is a harsh rated R, okay. so, so be aware of that going in. Yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, get to that 5. Also, I don't know if you remember I said this, but... Um, Post-credit scenes. Watch them. Mm-hmm. Watch the post-credit scenes. I, I don't think I did for two. I should do that. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know if there is one for all of them. Okay. Um, start watching them from here for sure. Okay. At the very least, the one at the end of four is very important. <laughs> uh, also, very random thing, but... Uh, these movies are one of, like, the most, like, boy, am I glad... I feel more justified than ever now in, like, a year or two back deciding to buy a tablet um, <laughs> because the added fidelity of the bigger screen and higher resolution than just, like, say, my phone screen is really nice. And also, if I just don't feel like watching it on TV and just cozy in my bed with the snack, it's very good. Yeah, for sure. I, I would always use my laptop for that sort of thing, but, like, if your options is phone and tablet, yeah. Yeah. And, like, it's light enough that it's not, like, a burden to, like, hold up, you know? I, I dig yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, you know, I actually want to know, hey, fuck it. I forgot to add this on the agenda, but I actually meant to talk about this last waft, and I almost for well, I forgot about it altogether. And I'm going to repeat that because I have soda burps. Uh, but, yeah, one thing I actually forgot to mention last waft, and I almost forgot to mention this waft, 
I watched an Orson Welles video essay. Oh? Um, so you know Orson Welles vaguely, at least, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Citizen Kane, War of the Worlds, that guy. Mm-hmm. Kind of d- did some shit. So, if you've been watching my garbage that I make, you may have noticed I've, I I started this RPG Rewind series. I want to do some other stuff that's more video essay-y. I poked around in that. And I was like, you know, I want to fucking get in there. I want to see, like, the actual, like... What, what the fuck is the closest thing to, like, a professional area of study or, like anything in terms of like cinematography for video essays and it turns out there's really not much youtube's kind of the thing where this took off but there is some historical precedent um hilariously enough actually one of the big pioneers apparently of the medium is actually attributed to michael moore um who i actually watched a lot of when i was younger um so that's the thing. Uh, I, I actually, you know, actually, I, I will say, I rewatched Bowling for Columbine just because I was like, I want to see if there's anything I could pick up from this. And honestly, not really. It's just a documentary about gun control. Um, but another thing that was referenced, and actually referenced to be, like, the big one that people say, like, kind of started this trend, was a Orson Welles documentary that has kind of been dubbed, like, a movie essay called F for Fake. It was the last, like, officially released thing that he did before he died, if you know anything about Orson Welles' personal life. Uh, He did a lot of cameos in his later career, but in terms of his personal projects, a lot of them happened to, like, fall through or, like, really shitty things happened. He has one movie that's, like, apparently basically complete or, like, 95% complete that because of some bullshit rights fiasco, they've been trying to get released for fucking ever and might happen, like, next year, finally, apparently. Um, wow. Which is pretty incredible, because if Orson Welles is, like, still alive today, he'd be, like, 102. Um, also, he recorded the lines for Unicron from the Transformers movie, like, five days before he died. He's kind of famous in, like, nerd shit for that. And within the five days between recording and dying, he apparently trashed the movie and was like, yeah, some dumb fucking toy movie, which I think <laughs> is great. Um, just as someone who's never given a shit about Transformers at all, even when I was a kid. Um, I've had We've no... got Gundams. Honestly, like, I liked G Gundam as a kid, but I never was super into Gundam as a kid. Like, it took me a little bit to get in there. Transformers, yeah. I always liked Starscream, and that was it. So, yeah. Um, but F for Fake was, like I said, the last thing he released. It's a very interesting thing to talk about from a production standpoint, because it originally was supposed to be just a straight documentary. And what it was about was this guy named Elmir. Now, Elmir was this dude who in, like, oh God, I want to say it was, like, the 70s when the movie like, was made and where all this was taking place. Uh, basically, it was a dude who is, like, famous for being a fantastic art forger, and at least according to his claim, he has never forged a piece of art that was not accepted by a museum. And eventually he came out with it and was like, hey, all of this shit in these museums were made by me. And it's, like, super fake, and when I presented them to experts, they had no fucking clue that it was fake. 
which really made a lot of, like, art enthusiasts disillusioned with the whole fucking thing, because it's like, if the people that we trust to be experts in this field don't know what the fuck they're talking about, what's the point of valuing art, you know? <laughs> um... So the story gets more interesting from there. So Orson Welles is like, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to make a documentary about that. So their primary source for the documentary was a man by the name of Clifford Irving. Now, I'm not... So the movie... This is also one of the tricky things, and honestly the part I appreciated the least just as a modern-day viewer. Um, And I'm going to get up and walk around a little bit because my legs are fucking sore. Um, The movie was made in mind with the idea that this Clifford Irving guy would have been all over the news by the time this movie was made, so you're kind of intended to go in knowing a little bit of this. Clifford Irving was a dude who was a biographer who made a biography of a... Like, he basically... His claim to fame at the time was he made a biography about a millionaire who was like a recluse. Um... So he was making a biography about Elmir, and he was the primary source of, like, interview footage for the Orson Welles documentary about Elmir. Now, so all, all of this takes place in Spain, by the way. So they fucking fly back to America and start editing together the movie. Turns out that biography he wrote about that millionaire was all bullshit. The millionaire came out was like, these are all lies. This guy is a fucking fraud. So Orson Welles is like, okay, we can't use that footage anymore, but I love the idea that we were making a documentary about a faker, and our source of information was also from a faker. So he goes into, like, an exploration of fraud and different forms of trickery, and he brings in, so, like, when he was a kid and, like, kind of growing up in, like, adolescence and stuff, he actually studied as a magician, so he kind of brings that into it. Actually, his first job ever was actually when he decided to go to Ireland and try to be a painter, and he fucking, like, went broke. And he just went to some random, like, theater and was like, yeah, I'm from Broadway, I'm American. And they just believed him and fucking hired him on. Um, so it's a, a weird exploration of the idea of art. And does it really, like, kind of... Actually, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's like... If there's something and it's good, does it really matter who it came from sort of thing? Um, and one of my favorite lines of the movie that I think is great is he's like, if someone is a faker and makes a piece of art so good that the experts can't tell the difference, doesn't that mean that the experts are the fakers and the fakers the expert? And it's like, oh, goddamn, that's, that's pretty good, actually. Um... What a Nasu statement. Yes. And the expert was like, I have no foundation to believe that this is authentic, but I will continue to believe so. Um, yeah, it was just really good. Um, there's a lot of different editing styles, and actually, honestly, one of the things that like turned me onto this was um, uh, there's a big YouTuber who is like probably the biggest video essayist on YouTube who made a... Um, he basically made a video essay on how to make video essays uh, that was like four minutes long and it referenced this movie. And the main idea that he brought up was that this movie juggles like six narratives at once and it kind of shows you how to like pace that. Um, 
I feel like it, I didn't personally get much from that because when you're talking about a video game with like a linear approach like most JRPGs and other types of games I enjoy do, you have like natural progression of like you go to this area, here's the gameplay, what that's like, here's the story and what that's like, and here's the music and what, you know, like you have natural points that kind of segment out like that in comparison to like a movie where I feel like it's kind of harder to segment those type of things out, you know? Um, but yeah, I still got a good watch out of it, so I highly recommend it. Um, one other thing, too, that actually I was going to reference with it is at the start of the movie, this is going to sound super obvious now that I pointed out, but at the start of the movie, it's not too bad. Orson Welles goes, okay, for the next hour, you have it on my word that I'm going to tell nothing but the truth. Now, as someone watching this movie in 2017, that's when you click on the, the phone screen and you see that the movie is an hour and a half long and go, oh. Because <laughs> yeah. he says it at like five minutes in and it's like, oh, okay. There's a hard limit on when bullshit's going to happen. And sure enough, there's a point where he's like, oh, for the last 20 minutes I've been lying, ah. Oh. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. It's a that's good watch, cute. though. I highly recommend it. Orson Welles is controversial opinion he's a good movie director <laughs> who would have thought the man who made citizen king would be good at making shit the worst movie ever made yep i'm actually not a super fan of it i haven't watched it since i was like 15 <laughs> to be fair same <laughs> yeah i just i i was bored with it so I mean, honestly, I, mean, I feel like it's, that's the natural reaction nowadays, you know? It's no fate, you know? <laughs> fate, Citizen King. Yeah, I, I mean, come on now. Kinoki, okay. When, when he's laying on the bed, instead of saying Rosebud, he should have just said, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. Yeah. I mean, not for fake, but I mean, it's all about Shiro. Yeah, exactly. What a faker. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I'll probably give that a watch at some point. It's on YouTube everywhere. Like, eight people have it uploaded. No one seems to be taking it down. So, um... Yeah. But, uh, moving on from that, you know what else is fake? Half-Life 3, apparently. Oh, boy. <laughs> So, I have no attachment to Half-Life as a series. I don't think you do either. Is that a safe... <laughs> I've played maybe about an hour and a half of Half-Life 2, and that's it. I played them a little bit ago. Um, I remember less of the plot than I remember, because one of the former head writers for Half-Life recently came out and revealed what would have been the plot to Half-Life 2 Episode 3. Now, that's actually something I want to clarify. So Half-Life as we know it, as far as I understand, I'm not, once again, I'm not a super fan, but I'm pretty sure this is how this goes. The last Half-Life thi Half thing that we got, if you don't count Portal, because they're the shared universe or whatever, um, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 was the last thing we got. Um, you constantly hear about Half-Life 3 because that's what everyone assumed would have happened next, but I think there's a lot of people that were like, oh, they could also make Half-Life 2 Episode 3. Um, so one of the writers that used to work for Valve that worked on the Half-Life games on his personal blog 
made a blog post titled, like, Epistle 3. Um, and then proceeded to write a letter from a Girdle Fried Man's point of view. It wasn't exactly that, but he used, like, very clearly off-brand names of all of the characters and things from the Half-Life universe. Yeah. And proceeded to tell a story. Oh, dear. And then he ended the letter with, like, I, I'm afraid that this is it sort of thing. Almost as if to say, hey, this is the closest thing you're ever going to fucking get, probably. Oh, oh, dear. Um, to be fair for anyone that, like, keeps, like, pays attention to the business side of things, um, it's become more and more apparent in the past, I want to say, five years that Valve has been clearly letting go of their single-player type development teams um all of their writers have been gone for three years i think a lot of like the people that did like single player level design were cut from them they are very clearly like a games as service provider and just hey a actual game service provider at this point i don't think they're ever going to go back to half-life at least not for a long while (laughs) yeah what what a fucking shame i can't say I'm too bothered by it, but I have to imagine that if I was a fan of this series, I'd be pretty pissed off right now. So, like, I, I, I yeah, no, I, I don't really care about Half-Life. I loved Portal, though. Um, I, I love like Portal, Portal 2 a lot, yeah. I, I like Portal 1 a lot, and I think Portal 2 is one of my favorite games. So, that's a shame that, hey, probably never gonna get a Portal 3 as well, but, uh, eh, I don't even know if I needed a Portal 3, but, like, People have been wanting this for fucking forever, you know? Since I was, um, like, a child, I'm pretty sure. Like, when, yeah. did, when did Half-Life 2 happen? That, like, 20, 2006? Yeah, it was a while ago. I was, like, 15, <laughs> you know? Like, it's um, been a bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but, like, just in general, like... Hey, I Valve is doing work for themselves. Like they did this for a reason. They're they're clearly making more money doing the games as a service thing than they are making Half Life Three or Portal Three. Exactly. And with the way games development is right now, I can't say I blame the studio for just being like, why bother when we can make our money doing this? Mm-hmm. As a fan of creative stories and media i think it's a shame that it went this way yeah you know so uh also one thing i do want to say one thing that i think they've always struggled with uh, even if they wanted to do like episode three or half-life three or whatever the fuck they were gonna do one thing that's always been a thing about half-life is when half-life one came out it was a game changer for that genre same thing with half-life two after Half-Life 2, you got the Halo 3, Call of Duty 4 type thing going on where fucking shooters were everywhere and they were trying to all sorts of different things. Honestly, I think the most inventive shooters that you've gotten in, like, recent times are Titanfall 2, which was a very niche audience of players, and Doom. And I, I don't think that there's much room in that genre anymore to do something that groundbreaking at that scale anymore, you know? Like, what do you do? So at that point, though, because it has been so long, I think they almost looped around to where they could just do Half-Life 2 again, and it would be like, oh my god, it's like a a fucking callback to the old shooter days. Yeah. 
I don't know if Valve would want to do that. Like, I, I don't know if that's their type of... Like, I feel like they always want to be the new shit, you know? So the thing about that is it creates... Well, it brings up an interesting question of, like, how much does the authors or the creators desire to do what they want to do matter over what they've promised and clearly set up and that the fans want to see? Yeah. If it was a situation of Half-Life 2 came out, was a standalone game, and then was done, then it would be like, well, no, they don't want to make another Half-Life, that's fine. Um, they stopped in the middle of a fucking series. Yeah. With a cliffhanger. And it was very clear that they intended to, at some point, make Half-Life 3. I feel like, no, before moving this direction, you should have done this. Like, it, it, it should have been done. Or even, you know what, it's shitty, but, like... Make a fucking official novel. Like, hire some asshole to write it. <laughs> Just make Half-Life 3 a book. People would be yeah. pissed, but at least it would exist. in a. F- at least it would exist that's not on a former employee's blog with off-brand names. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. I- honestly, yeah, like, I've never really expected to see Half-Life 3, but I think this is probably one of the most pathetic ways that, like, this industry could have ended this saga. Oh, it's great. I mean, to be fair, I feel like it's probably better than Duke Nukem Forever's saga. <laughs> yeah, uh, imagine if Half-Life 3 came out and was fucking garbage. Yeah, that would be incredible. Now, to be fair... I think Duke Nukem is a little overrated. Well, yeah, no. I, I, th- I think... <laughs> Those that are that always kind of bad in their own way. <laughs> I, I think that is a half-and-half half situation where, yes, that is a very bad video game, but also I think the world grew up waiting for that game to come out. Yeah, so. exactly. So, yeah, I just thought, like, I mean, we didn't have any, like, real personal connection to that, but I just thought, like, that... That's a big video game thing that I feel like deserves some attention. Because <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. Now, we've been delaying a long time talking about what we're going to talk about. So, it's August 26th now, but it was the 25th yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, a little thing came out on Netflix... A western... Hold on. Continue. Did you have a bag ready for two hours just just for this joke? (laughs) Yep. Oh, Jesus Christ. you had your Death Note joke, I had mine. Ah, fuck, full circle. Yeah, that's a shame. (laughs) Um, So, popular anime and manga series death note got a western film adaptation in the form of death note 2017 exclusive to the netflix streaming service directed by some asshole starring some fucker that was on a nickelodeon show i don't know any of their names um i know one of their names oh yeah i know one of their names do um willem dafoe is ryuk um what a fucking mess of a show. So I watched this with Amanda. I watched it by myself in a dark room. That's fair. The lights were off. I had a bottle of water and I just cried. Good. 
Um, I'm happy that The Dark Tower wasn't the worst movie I watched this year. Hell yeah! <laughs> Dude, that was the, like, the as the credits rolled, I... Well, there we go. There was, in fact, a movie worse than The Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to start. Oh, well, God, I want to say, so I think this is the least healthy on-screen romance I've seen in my life, and I kind of get that that's the point, but also fuck off. It's... Okay. I really thought... I really, really thought that it was going to be like a, a a thing where she was not in love with him yeah but then at the end she totally was i yeah there's a point where i'm like oh that's kind of neat she's just totally exploiting this jackass to get the fucking notebook no yeah there's a point in that movie where i actually went oh shit they flipped it she's fucking light and he's misa yeah nope, nope. <laughs> um I also had this thought throughout the film. I think this is the first time I've seen a Western adaptation of a zany Japanese thing that because it's so condensed and flanderized, they somehow managed to make it seem more absurd and ridiculous than the weird zany <laughs> Japanese thing it's based off of. L is a fucking cartoon. Oh my god. It is. Okay. What did they do? How did this happen? I, I, I think... <sighs> okay. We should start this the same way we started the Dark Tower. What's your history with Death Note? So Death Note was a thing that I caught a few times. When it was airing on Adult Swim, I caught it bits and pieces here. About a year after it finished, my best friend was like, Dude, there's this hit. Keep in mind, we were like 14. I don't remember how fun. We were young. Yeah. My friend's like, dude, there's this cool-ass anime out called fucking Death Note. It's the most mature thing I've ever watched. It's the most intelligent anime I've ever seen. I'm like, oh my god, I gotta watch this. I, I, I watched all of Death Note with him. Um, this is the same friend that I played through Final Fantasy X with. Um, and we both had the same thing. Well, okay, so he had a head start, and I caught up on him. I think he actually told me to watch the series at the same time that he watched L die. <laughs> and then I caught up really fast because, you know, I had no fucking life or responsibilities as a young person. Um, and then we watched the second half together and he was like, wow, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not as good. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of bad. Um, but the L stuff was cool. Um, I, I later went on and read the manga, but that has the infamous problem of the dudes really wanted it to reach 108 chapters, so it just gets really fucking long past a point. So I remember I just started skipping chapters at some point, and I was like, wow, I missed nothing. Um, I don't know if I ever finished it. I know I read the dumb epilogue that's manga only, though. Um, I watched the live-action movie adaptations at some point, and I was like, oh, those are cute. And that was kind of it. So I'm not the biggest fan of Death Note. It meant a lot to me when I was an edgy teenager. So yes. I feel like that's of our generation, though. Totally. Um, for my part, um, Death Note was the anime that got me into anime. Oh, shit. 
I'd, and I've, I'd seen anime before, but it was one of those things where, like, you see Dragon Ball on TV, and even for me, like, I, I'd watched .hack stuff way before Death Note, but they were not anime, you know? I yeah. was watching they Dragon were cool Ball cartoons. was a, yeah Dragon Ball was a cool cartoon. Uh, Dot true. Hack was a cool like animated thing that went along with this video game. Um, Death Note came at an age where I was a little bit older, and I had a friend who was like, "Check this shit out, man!" And I was like, "Oh, this is anime." <laughs> so Death Note was my starting point for like a, a later half of teenage years into like early adulthood of being a fucking weeb. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that was the beginning of that chapter of my life. And Death Note was the perfect show for me at the time because I was an angsty, edgy teen. And that show was angsty, edgy teen material for weebs. Um, I just want to confirm I was 15. Or actually, sorry, I was 14 and then 15 when I watched Death Note. Yeah, I was a. I think I was like one or like one year old, like one or two years older than that. But I'm not sure. It's been so long. Mm-hmm. Um. I I mean you know relative, but uh, <laughs> that show. Um, I loved it, loved it back then. I've rewatched it a couple of times since then. Obviously, I do not connect to it the same way. Yeah. Um, but I will maintain that the first 25 episodes of that show are still real fucking good. Yeah. Um, it holds up on a rewatch. Obviously, like, you have to chuckle a little bit at the, you know, dumb, overdramatic monologues and, and the edgy, like, I'm gonna be a god stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, as a... Yeah, <laughs> as a thriller, as a thriller whose action is not typical, um, I do find it to be one of the better anime out there. Still, to this day. Um, it's better than most things that come out today, honestly. It scratches an itch in the thriller genre. I don't think many things do, and I can give it credit for that, for sure. I haven't rewatched it, like, I don't think I've ever fully rewatched it. I know I've gone back to specific episodes, though. Um, I also wanted to confirm that I was 15, because I distinctly remember 15 being the age where I had a phase where I was like, yeah, fuck anime, I only watch psychological anime, like Death Note and <laughs> Evangelion. I was that little shit for a little bit. Um, and then I just kind of stopped liking anime for two years, and then I kind of got back into it senior year. Um, um, can't believe we're bringing on the Crocstream stories now. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, you're right. Um, but yeah. Death Note was kind of that edgelord teenage thing. And it fills that role well. Yeah. This doesn't, but that... No. <laughs> no, oh God, does it not. Um. Yeah, I don't know where to start with this. I'll start. Okay. I understand that a lot of changes have to be made. Mm -hmm. It is a movie. It cannot have the length of a show. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, it is an American movie. 
And as a result, I totally get the desire to approach it from a more American mindset and adapt the story fully to a way that would speak more with American audiences than Japanese audiences. So any complaints I have about this movie are not just they changed it. Mm-hmm. It's that it's fucking garbage. Yeah. Um, I think I think there still is a point to be made. Like, the whitewashing kind of sucks in the sense that, like, yeah, it's supposed to be an American adaptation, too, but, like... In the, like, I feel like, especially after Ghost in the Shell, it's like, ooh, this was not, probably not yeah. the time for this, you know? Sure. Um, I don't even just mean that, though. Like, like yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, the conversation about whitewashing is, like, totally valid, and anyone that wants to talk about that is has every right to do so. Yeah. Because, um, like, even if e- it is the adaptation, I think there's the practical argument to be made of, like, it is an Asian property that is, like... You could have an Asian role in there, but it's, you know, with yeah. that gets kind of lost, unfortunately, and those roles get lost to white people, which that does suck. But yeah, I, I mean, the main issue there is that we're still living in an era where the the go to default for any character is, is white. white. Yeah, which and sucks. that's that's a problem, you know. Um, but even that aside, I just mean like even on its own terms as a movie, it still sucks though. <laughs> Yes, and, like, so they change a lot of characters, and, like, the small changes of, like, this character has this profession instead of this Like, that's fine. I don't care about that. The problem is that it's all bad. Do we want to start oh. from the beginning, then go? Sure. Um, actually, the, the first thing I think I want to say that Amanda pointed out, actually... Does Mia only smoke in the one scene ever, and then never again? I believe so, yeah. Just to show that she's a naughty cheerleader girl. Okay. (laughs) This fucking character, dude. (laughs) I cannot believe that they could not decide if they wanted her to be the outcast goth girl or the most popular cheerleader, because she's both. And that doesn't fucking work. It doesn't. You can't be both. You can't be the outcast goth character and the most popular girl in school cheerleader. I don't know any high school where, like, popular cheerleader girl is the one getting thrown around like that by the big dumb grunt kids. Like, that's, that's like, the, what the Hot Topic kids get, you know? And she's kind of a Hot Topic kid. But she's clearly the one that all the guys and girls are jealous and have the hots for, you know? <laughs> like, it's... There's two scenes that are baffling. The one is the fact that she's a cheerleader. <laughs> and the second is when, like, he sees her in the hallway with all the jocks and they, like, pull her along. And it's like, that's not how that works. <laughs> Um, that's not, that doesn't happen with a character that has a fucking sign in their locker saying normal people scare me. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway. (laughs) Um, gotta love the principal that says, yeah, I know you just got physically assaulted, (laughs) but you're, you're doing other kids homework, you asshole. How? Fuck off. 
that character exists only so that Light can have a fucking speech about doing the right thing. Or, like, not doing the right thing. A, a speech about people that just stand by and watch things happen. And I'm sorry, if that happened in any school post, like, what, 2011? The fucking cops would have been there. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that's... Like, maybe maybe in the 2000s, like, that would have been a thing. But, like, yeah. any time a fucking fight breaks down, fucking police get involved. At, especially if, like they said, that dude was, like, in his 20s or whatever the fuck. Like... Yeah. There is actual, like, legal shit that needs to go down. You're not just gonna be like, you get to go to detention, fuck the other kid, I don't care about him. So, Light is a character is introduced immediately as they keep the genius thing. Yeah. He's still a genius. Well, you have to keep that. Well, I mean, did they? <laughs> um, so he is still a genius. However, instead of being the most popular kid in school, he's a bullied outcast. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not even so much bullied himself as just an outcast. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, I don't, I felt like it was, it, I felt like I was watching Amazing Spider-Man 1 again. Yeah. I'll say that. That's a a good way of putting it. (laughs) Um. I felt like Coldplay could start playing at any moment, you know? (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> no, I gotta save that one for later. <laughs> oh jeez, I think I know what... Yeah, but carry on. <laughs> Dude, I fucking died anyway. <laughs> um, so, Light's character is so completely different in this movie than in the show, to the point where he is the opposite character. I can't believe they left out the god complex thing, kind of, in a weird way. They... Have him talk one scene about these people want a god, and then it never comes up again. Amidst, like, cuts of them fucking. Yes. Um, and when they're both talking about, like, uh, she's like, they're just mindless sheep that need to be led. And then he's like, no, they need a role model. These people need a god. It sounds like they're fucking, like, looking up, like, a Socrates textbook. Or, like, it it, it, it feels like they pulled up Wookiee quote, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Because it never comes up again. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think it's really awkward how Light randomly decides to bring up, hey, remember your fucking dead wife in the middle of a family dinner a little bit? Well, Rosin, you have to establish that his... <laughs> mother is dead i mean how else would you do exposition yeah um i think any semblance of this being a morally gray movie goes out the window when lights and this was a thing that people talked about when this like trailer snippet came out when lights very first death note kill is decapitation (laughs) You gotta kind of wonder if maybe that dude's a little nuts. Just a so, little. Oh, the so, scene where he's freaking the fuck out in the detention room was hilarious, by the way. 
Oh my god, I can't believe... Like, every time he squeals and runs, I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Um... So anyway, we're getting so ahead of ourselves. Um, he gets the Death Note, and he does his experimentations, and then immediately says, I'm going to use this to look like a badass to the girl I like. <laughs> I'm going to... Hey, do you... It, it, the scene is so fucking... I can't tell you. I can't tell you what this is. Oh, okay. Do you want to know what it is? <laughs> I'll show you. Come here. Come here. <laughs> what a fucking... What an idiot. Um... I gotta love the obligatory Ryuk isn't your pet, don't trust him warning note. <laughs> that never, ever is like... That is only there to set up a red herring. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like they want to make it out like Ryuk fucks him over more than he actually does. Well, it, it's it's this thing where, like, they try to do the thing where, like, so the... God, the... the well, they make it clear, I guess, that Ryuk is not on Light's side. He is there clearly to have fun and watch shit unfold. And the thing about that that doesn't work, where it works in the original comes down to Light's character and his interactions with others, where Ryuk does make it very clear that he is not on Light's side in the anime and manga, but at the same time, he also is having the time of his life and really likes being around Light and watching what happens. Mm -hmm. um, in this movie, and, and so in the anime, that leads to the being able to do things where, like, you know, Light and Ryuk have tons of normal conversations and, like, Light can kind of get things from him if he if he does like a trade. Um, in this movie, it really feels like Ryuk doesn't like Light at all. Yeah. Um, there is no the most dynamic. Most anyone's there. ever gotten to is two. <laughs> um. Yeah. So like, I think that's where it falls apart. Where it's like, they do the thing where Ryuk is like, "Hey, I'm I'm not your friend. I could kill you anytime I want." <laughs> and it's like. That dynamic doesn't work if these two aren't a, like, a partnership in some way. Also, apples. Ugh. Well, I mean, they are part. They are partners, Zach. They fuck, and then they have a fan, not Reddit site, d devoted to them, where she goes, hey, check this out. People post criminals, and Light goes, what if it's fake? And she just goes, they're not, though. What a great retort. <laughs> Not only that, but also, he goes, what if someone just put someone on here because they fucked his girlfriend? And she's like, well, what would you do if someone fucked me? And he goes, I'd kill him. Oh my god, that was so dumb. And that's his justification of being like, maybe, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm an idiot, yeah. Um, God, what a terrible group of characters. Okay. I'm gonna say they got me one time. Mm. So the Ferris wheel collapsing scene was all over the advertising materials. 
mm-hmm. the first time they went on that fucking Ferris wheel, I was biting my goddamn lip the entire scene. I was like, okay, <laughs> what the fuck's gonna happen? And then nothing happens. I was like, oh, did that just get cut? And then they go back, but still. Um, nice. L is something. I feel like I have the least... No, that's a fucking lie. Um, okay, so L's one of those things where I feel like his character... Uh, my only real problems with L comes into the fact of, like, he was a more interesting character with a more interesting dynamic in the original. Mm-hmm. And if I want to, like, look at this movie without comparing it to the original, I feel like he's the one I have the least problems with here. Because he... He's a he plays the role of the weird detective guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Although for that reaction that he had, they really needed to establish his connection with Watery way more. Watery. <laughs> it like they have two scenes together, and then he's like fucking devastated. Also, with the amount of shit he pulls, I refuse to believe past a certain point that any of the law enforcement agencies would continue supporting him. And to be fair, by the end of the movie, it's very clear he's on thin ice. But like, I think it's more than not thin ice. They tell him to leave and never come back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. But like, even throughout the film, it's like, okay, you're starting to be a little much to the point where I kind of refuse to believe you'd get away with some of this shit. Um, you know what actually kind of bothered me? So we established that Light can write within the notebook, okay, knock li- knock L out when he's chasing me with a plank. What was stopping Light from writing Watery's name down and then saying shoot L in the face? Yep. I don't get it. <laughs> also, okay, I, me and Amanda couldn't quite figure... How did he get Watery's name again? We missed that, and we just didn't feel like rewinding. I think it was just Watery. What? He just wrote Watery. That's his name? I mean, I guess. Kind yeah, of I... Figured... I, I, I... I think that's all that happens. I could be wrong. If there was more to it, I missed it as well. Uh, I kind of just always assumed that kind of like L, that was just a fake name. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it might be in the original. Yeah, I think it is. Maybe that's why we're confused. Um, I Honestly, think... there there might be something about this movie that I'm forgetting. Because I, I remember this scene of him, like, talking with his dad, and his dad's like, yeah, this is fucking guy watery, but... Um the thing of like you need to sleep sir is fucking also the fact that he sings a lullaby for him yeah something it's something all right this guy is trying so hard to do the eccentric l poses but he just looks like an idiot yep um that chase scene is so fucking not death note it is so not death note it's so goofy. <laughs> the the thing it like Death Note had moments of legitimate like action. Yeah. Um they were never like one on one chases with like a gun and yelling like Light! It was always like, you know, big dramatic things where like light has a plan and also the a, a cops get involved. Gun. Yeah, what the fuck was that alien shit? 
Dude, that actually, that fucking scene where they're running through the diners and through, like, the apartment buildings and shit, you've seen Blade Runner, right? Uh, long time ago. There's a scene in Blade Runner where he, like, chases down a replicant and shoots her in the back, and it totally reminded me of that because of that stupid-ass, like, laser pew-pew gun that he had. What the fuck was the deal with that? Also, too, when he's knocked out, I'm sorry, no one's, no one's fucking watching. Why don't you grab the gun and shoot him in the fucking face? Because at that point, he didn't want to. So, oh, yeah, so that's right. Light, and and you are absolutely right that this should have been thrown out the window when he immediately went to decapitation, but the light in this movie is supposed to be a sympathetic character who got wrapped up in something that went too far because of everyone else in his life pushing him to do the thing. Yeah. Um... All of the stuff in the original series that was, like, light being manipulative is uh, Mia in this movie. Yeah. And then his initial kill is spurred on by Ryuk, who, in actual Death Note, waits until, like, multiple kills to be like, alright, I'll approach him. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, and I'm sorry, but, like, I, I didn't need things to be the same as the original, but, like, this version of Light is not interesting at all. No. It doesn't work. I, there's also some gaps. I want to rewatch it. Not soon. <laughs> um, at some point, though, because I feel like some of the deductive reasoning and logic that was in the original show that they tried to carry over does not fucking work. I have no idea how L figures out that he needs a name and a face, other than he just kind of guessed, I guess. He's like, uh, I noticed a trend. Yeah. But, like, that's... What... Those are very oddly specific things to note. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's just a wild guess in this movie. To be fair, in the original, it was also kind of a wild guess, but it was also... But then they tested it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was tested. And they kind <laughs> of do the thing here, but also, like, not... It's weird, I don't know. Yeah, it, they, It's not they... a soundproof sort of thing. Yeah, and, and he's not nearly as careful as he is in the show. Yeah. Um... I love how they, because they wanted to get the fucking L in there, like the L on the screen. Yeah. So he's so secretive that he will not show his face to Light's dad right away, but then, like, two scenes later is going in front of public TV. Yeah. Um, I thought it was fascinating. Well, not fascinating, but uh, there's a scene where, like, Light and his dad have an argument about, like, the role of Kira and if it's good or not, and then it cuts to Light's dad going into his office and it's trashed and there's graffiti on the wall. I legitimately thought that Light wrote some random cop's name in the death note to do that and then kill himself in his dad's office as a fuck you. (laughs) And I was like, what a petty asshole, and then they're just like, oh, all the cops love Kira, and I was like, oh, okay. I I was like, wow, (laughs) what a dick. That would have been amazing. I do think it's interesting that the cops love Kira a bit. Yeah. I think it's unrealistic, but I think it's interesting. I think they do at some point say that there are some police agencies post-time skip in Death Note that don't mind him anymore. Oh, um... 
Yeah, I, I all of America. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which hey, it's where the movie sense, huh? I guess America is just naturally going to be pro Kara. I love how they kind of keep poking at uh, the previous owner, and like I kind of think they want you to think it's light from the show. No way. But like, it clearly is not because that doesn't work at all. Yeah. No, there should have been. So, like, I honestly had a brief moment where I was thinking that this. Because, like, it's such a different character. I was like, oh my god, if this fucking movie ends with, like. After, like, this, like, this light dies, and then Ryuk takes the notebook to Japan and is like, time to get light! Yagami! Also, fuck them for doing the thing where she's like, why Kira? And he goes, it's actually light in Russian and Celtic. <laughs> But also means killer in Japanese, because I was like, oh, you cheeky bastards are trying not to do the jet. Oh, fuck, you brought it back to Japan anyways. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, also, too, I don't even know if that's fucking true. Let's look this up. Kira in Russian. I'm sure it is. Kira, given name, is a feminine form of Kirin, um, meaning beam of light. Yeah. Well, that's this movie is dumb teenage bullshit, and in the worst way. I don't, honestly, if you had shown this to me when I was, like, 15, though, I don't even think I would have liked this. No, I would have hated it. Because, like, it's trying to be, like, young adult and, like, in, like, the worst way. Like, like it's, it almost acts like it's trying to aim for, like, the Twilight crowd. Yeah. Like, um, ten years too late, you know? It's weird. I I also feel like, man, there's just some weird shit in here. Like the fact that they turned Death Note into like a romance story to begin with is, like it it seems like of course they would have done that. How obvious, but also like, man, why would you even make Death Note? There? I also kind of refuse to believe that Light would continue talking to a woman who's like, yeah, kill your fucking dad. Well, no, he loves her, man. That's he fucking worst. loves her so much. So bad. Um, like, it, it, no, you know what? Fuck what I said about Twilight. This is trying to appeal to the people that are super into the Joker Harley Quinn romance. Yeah. Oh Jesus! There's that scene where where she's like, "You're not supposed to ask." I'm like, "No, <laughs> actually." <laughs> Um, yeah, su- actually, that's... Mm. You're super supposed to ask. <laughs> um, that was bad. Um, there was a point... Okay, so there were multiple points in the movie where I was like... And this is before it's apparent that there are shards in the... Rela- or, like, cracks in the relationship where things are very clearly, like, they're having differences. There were totally points where I was like, why the fuck isn't Light just passing the notebook along to her to get the heat off of him? <coughs> mm, yeah. And that then eventually they do it, but they do it way too late where they she literally takes the notebook after police are right outside the house. And I kind of refuse to believe that when she was leaving with a giant book bag, the SWAT team wouldn't have searched her. I know. Like, they don't even show her leaving, so, like, at first I was like, she jumped out, like, a window or something? Yeah, I like, was wondering that, too, or if, like, maybe she hid somewhere, but, like, no, yeah. she just left. Yeah. 
Um, oh, man. I love how they have a generic winter formal scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. Also, why the fuck mean at the Ferris wheel? Oh, no, so you can set off the master plan. Yeah, it was all part of his plan. Okay, so there is, like, five seconds of runtime that feels a little bit like Death Note, which is when he's explaining his dumb, convoluted plan. See, I... I kind of thought that, and I brought that up, and Amanda said, like, Death Note never explained it that much, though. So, it does once, which is when it goes over his plan about when he erases his memories. But to be fair, that's a lot more complex than this. Oh, absolutely. But, like, I feel like that's the specific scene they're trying to ape here. Yeah. The, the scene, because... The big yeah, reveal sort of thing. Because it cuts back to, like, shit that happened 20 minutes ago, and it's like, I did this and this. But also, too, I feel like to an extent... At least Death Note trusted its audience more. This kind of felt like they were like, no, we need the stupid people to get what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I thought the ending thing was goofy, but I kind of dug it in a dumb way. Okay, so so what part of the ending? Uh, the, okay, the fact that it's left ambiguous if L in mid-breakdown state writes down Light's name or not, I thought was cute, but it's also really stupid. <laughs> Mm, that's so I got the impression that he backed down. I didn't even think that it was ambiguous. I thought it was ambiguous and I actually looked it up. So here's the thing. I thought it was ambiguous and I thought that there was going to be like a post credits thing that was going to like you know mm. say whether or not and I looked it up online and people seemed to be arguing if whether or not he did it. So I think the idea is they left it ambiguous. Personally, I kind of feel like he probably would have backed down. But also, too, there's the, the I like, fucking Ryuk pulls back the curtain and, like, I... Or he's like, humans are so interesting. Which kind of leads you to believe, like, oh, he said that because L backed down on his ideals, you know? Mm. But also, you could also say, like, oh, he's, he's thinking, like, oh, L's keeping to his ideals, even though it's really stupid for him to be doing so at this point. There's a lot of yeah. ways to read it, I feel. He could have also been reacting to what was going on between Light and his dad. Yeah, that's true. Because there's that whole scene where his dad confronts him. And then, like, they leave that also ambiguous. So where even if Light isn't killed there, it's like, well, is his dad going to turn him in? Or Yeah, um, there's also the, the idea, too, where... um. I like that Ryuk's in that final hospital scene, because in this universe, the Death Note isn't just reality warping, like... Well, I mean, it, it, it had limitations in the fucking show, but, like, it's very clearly, like, a separate force doing it than just the Shinigami. Yes. And then in this fucking, we get Ryuk using the force to tear down a Ferris wheel. Yes. In, in this movie, the, the Death Note is simply telling Ryuk what to do, which doesn't really make sense if you no. think about it because Ryuk can just do it. And also considering the fact it's supposed to be Ryuk's book, but... Um, well, I mean, they never say that in this movie. Yeah. Um, but, like, even then, it's like, wh why go through the formality of a notebook if he's gonna hang around him anyway? Just be able to say, like, oh, kill him. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, too, the idea that, um... 
No, I was just saying, I, I like that he's in that final hospital scene because it, it leaves more ambiguity to, like, is he just there because Light is still the master, or is he there to fucking kill Light because yeah. Al wrote the name down? Um, hmm. I think, um... There's some really weird points where they're trying to make this, like, really weird American, like, horror movie-esque. Oh, like, you mean Final Destination? Yeah. Um, well, that specifically, but also there's some shit with Ryuk where, like, when there's, when when Watari is, like, going through that, like, abandoned orphanage place or whatever, there's a part where, like, Ryuk, like, slams up against the foggy glass and you see, like, the outline. It's supposed to be kind of, like, a creepy thing and, like, it, it just yeah. looks stupid and forced. Yeah. Um, the gore is laughably dumb and overproduced. It, it's overproduced, is, but it's, like, overshown, I think. It's goofy as fuck. It, it is so clearly in love with the idea of having gore and murder happen. So is Mia, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, can we talk... She, oh, yeah? I was about to say, can we talk about the greatest music in a scene ever? Oh, perfect. Man, fuck Nier Automata. <laughs> yeah. Let's Let's go! Slow motion fall off the Ferris wheel while whatever the fuck that song is plays in the background. Oh my god. What a mess. Man, I legitimately started laughing, like, in real life. Like, cracking up. Oh, uh, there are multiple points where, like, we both just started dying when we were watching it, yeah. that The music during the Ferris wheel scene. So, not only is it like the perfect music they could have played to make me start laughing, but the lyrics are also so bad. Yeah. Uh, oh man. And then I love in the like the plan reveal after that Light had not one but two pocket pedophiles that like he <laughs> From by the way, the website. Yeah. So maybe they weren't yeah, it could have just been some, like, shit dudes that were just like, oh, yeah, these guys are bad. Because <laughs> that's I love that that's plot thread just dropped, yeah, where it's where Light's like, yeah, maybe these people are just being, like, wrongly accused by people that hate them. Nah, it goes away, yeah. dude. They're just clearly bad. But, you see, it doesn't matter, because if someone had sex with his girlfriend, he'd fucking kill him. So might as well kill these guys, too. Um, even, like, like I don't, that line, I don't care if it's supposed to be taken literally or as, like, them, like, being cute with each other. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. God, what a fucking movie. I, it's real, I think it's actually the worst thing I've seen this year. Yeah, hey, so, like... The Dark Tower was... Bad, but... Uh, on, honestly, The Dark Tower as a script is put together worse than this. Yeah. But, like, I got enjoyment out of The Dark Tower, and this was just, like, the only enjoyment I got out of this was laughing at it. Yeah. Um. Also, the one thing that could have saved the movie, at least in terms of, like, a dumb entertainment value, is criminally underused... 
man, what a fucking great idea. Well, like, actually, honestly, probably a good idea to keep Ryuk in shadow most of the time so we can't see how awful he looks. Mm, he looks awful. Yeah. Um, Willem Dafoe's not in this movie as much as you'd probably want him to be. No, and he is... Like, once you hear the words Willem Dafoe as Ryuk, it's automatically, like, there could have been no one else. Yeah. He is perfect for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame that the script is what it is, because this character is, it like, he pops up, like, three times to go, ah, ah, ah. That's it. It's, um, bad. It's bad, it is, like, this shit would have been laughed off of, like, direct-to-DVD sequels to, like, Disney movie bad. Like... Yeah. Netflix keeps killing it. Mmm. Oh, boy, have they... Mm, can't wait for that Stranger Things season two, huh? I've been so worried. <laughs> <laughs> so worried. Um, yeah, we'll see. Halloween, am I right? Yeah. I feel like there's so much more we could say about Death Note, but I can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. Like, just... It's baffling to me that this movie took the direction it did with this fucking romance and this, like... Death Note light as a weak-willed, whiny, manipulated, good-natured character that got wrapped up in something out of his control and is super upset that like an FBI agent got like actually hey you know what I have something to complain about yeah so one of the best parts I think of the original like first half of Death Note is when it's it's the fact that L does figure out who Kira is but it's literally in the moments when he is dying. Sort of thing, you know? Like Yes, he 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 is he becomes convinced he's Kira and then he starts to question that and then I think the thing that makes Death Note fun is that it is a cat and mouse game where the entire time so like in the second half of the L arc, it's almost like he doesn't want him to be Kira. Yeah. Because they legitimately become friends. Yeah. And, like, when he finally figures out that it was him, he's like, my suspicions are confirmed, but, like, it took until that point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, th- the reason people liked Death Note was that cat and mouse uh, dynamic between Light and L of them trying to figure out who the other one is and then trying to figure out, like, could it be him? So, um, much like, hey, uh, oh, it's nothing. Oh, hey, do you want to see what it is, though? We have diner scene of... Oh, God, it's so fucking bad. Of your light. Or you're like, hey, light, I know you're Kira. Uh, nah, that's crazy. Hey, fuck you. I'm doing the right thing, you motherfucker. You would be helping me out if you knew what I was doing if you wanted to do the right thing. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> he reveals himself as Kira to L on their first meeting. Yeah. Also, too, 
where, like, they're just randomly talking about Kira shit in the crowded school hallways. Yeah. It's so dumb. Also, he's, like, reading the Death Note in the open all the time. Yeah. Like, alright, I get it. It's a movie. We don't... We can't have ten the minutes dedicated to... They can't. They can't understand the conversations <laughs> that are happening. Normal people scare me, man. Oh my god. Oh. Okay. Hold on. Mhm. I have a problem. Yeah. So in. In the last one-third of this movie, Mia's goal becomes to get the notebook for herself. Yes. And in order to do this, she creates a plan where she writes Light's name in the notebook and then says, bring me the notebook and I'll get rid of it. But she has the fucking notebook. When she creates her plan to get the notebook, she has it. Yeah. Now, she's not the owner. She cannot see Ryuk, but she has the notebook and can use it. And she also doesn't really seem to be all that concerned. Like, she doesn't seem to give any sort of interest or give a fuck about Ryuk in the first place. No, she doesn't. And even then, she could read the rules and see that all she has to do is wait a week. Yeah. She begins her master plan to get ownership of the notebook while she has it. And then gives it back to him. Uh... Huh. I actually thought that the Shinigami eyes would at least be referenced as, hey, this is your fucking get-out-of-jail-free thing or whatever. Or not not free um, after your lifespan. But at least be presented as an option, and Light would have been like, no, that's stupid, at the very least, you know? The problem... Okay, here's the problem, man. That concept works really great when it's the Light we have in Death Note this light would have taken the deal. Yeah, probably. <gasps> um. Jeez, what a fucking train wreck. And honestly, too, in a weird way, I think it kind of, at the end of the day, is like, yeah, Light kind of did the right thing, even though he kind of regrets it at the end. <sighs> this movie... Uh, so, f first of all, Fuck this movie's ending for being the fucking, um, sometimes you gotta take the lesser of two evils. Which, Which one, are one are you, you, Light? So they end on that, like, is Light evil? Um, fuck that, because this entire movie was designed to make it so that Light can still be sympathetic. Yeah, which is garbage. That's not what I want from Light at all, to be honest. That's not what made Death Note fun. Yeah. Because the thing with light is that you start of you start out with the idea, and it's like, that's fucked up, but like, yeah. 
And then it's very clear that that idea quickly becomes kill bad people to kill people who don't like me. Or so, are in my way, you know? like the, the first time I watched Death Note, and I remember this, um, at the beginning I was like, oh yeah, he, he's, he sees himself, you know, like he's doing a good thing, you know? He, he, he really believes this. And then he kills an FBI agent. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, no, he, he had to defend himself, you know, he, he, you know, it's unfortunate, but he's gotta do what he gotta do. Gotta make sacrifices. It was the, it was the episode where he kills the FBI agent's girlfriend. Yeah. Because, also, what a great string of two episodes, probably some of my favorite in that whole show, because um, it's just so slow and, like, the tension is, is amped up at the right levels in the right way. Um, the end of that two episode storyline, uh, where he is killing her, he clearly is just enjoying it and is like taunting her with the fact that he won. Yeah. And that was the moment where it's like, okay, no, 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 no. Okay. He is a piece of shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this light would have never done that. Does Kira have a complaints department if I don't like one of his decisions? You fucked us. We're not the good guys anymore. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. The scene where L's on the TV and Ryuk is like, eh, I start rooting for this guy. And Light's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, God. Good thing you have a pen. <laughs> Fuck this movie's, like, random attempts at, like, Joss Whedon comedy. Yeah. <sighs> oh. Oh, my God. <sighs> what a script. Do you think there'll be a sequel? No. Do you think they wanted a sequel? Yes. <laughs> Maybe not because of the ambiguous ending, but I could see them, I could see this team being like, yeah, we're going to make a near and mellow sequel, you know? Man, oh what if this, what if this turns into a trilogy? That would be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Ugh, God. Yep. It's bad. It's so bad. It's really bad. But, you know, it's not bad. What's not bad? The fact that we have emails. Hey. We actually got a Twitter question. Oh, actually, hey. This is a good question to start with. Um... This is from Soma, and he asks, if you're still taking podcast questions, do you think that ending was trying to set up a sequel? Well. <laughs> um, bonus points, draft Death Notes 2 plot. Oh, fuck. So I think you have to start with, with L violently shaking while holding the piece of paper and then going, and then throwing it in, like, the microwave or some bullshit. Um... Nah, I I think it opens up, like, a month later. Yeah. But, like, I... F 
Wait, but what do you do? Because, like, Light's not Kira no more. Yeah, he is. Well, like, kind of, but is he still killing... Like, he kind of had the thing where he's, like, killing people's bad, so is he going to keep doing it or no? Well, no. Well, see, the thing is, though, man... Uh, see, see, here's the thing. At the end of the day, he manipulated everything so that he got the notebook back. Yeah. And, hey, is he the lesser of two evils or the greater of two evils? Yeah. Mm, I wonder. But I also don't know why he'd tell L, like, the shit he did if he planned on continuing, kind of. <laughs> Well, I don't think this character thinks a lot of things out, man. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, well, tell me, yeah, tell me your idea for a sequel. So, it it opens with, with L tossing, making the right choice, I guess, morally. Not really, I don't fucking know. Um, lights in the hospital... At some point, he's forced to kill his dad. Near and Mello show up. Stupid shit happens. L dies. Near, fucking takes light in. I don't know if I'd want a trilogy. I think if there's a Death Note two, there has to be a Death Note three. Oh God. I think that movie two would be about L. Tr- so. Movie 2 would be Light's father is torn up with the decision of whether or not he wants to turn his son in. Light continues his killings on his own. And this really, really, like, sends his father on, like, a, a, a fucking, like, crazy mental thing. You, you'd have a situation where the the main crux of the character drama is... What side does Light's dad take? Because L knows Light's Kira. His dad knows he's Kira. But, like, none of them can really do anything about it. Yeah. You would have L coming back to try to, like, create a master plan to get Light caught red-handed. And it would ultimately end up with L dying. But L's death is the signal that like the last scene of the fucking movie would be like near being like oh l finally like his last thing he did was able to get a message to this guy (sighs) and i think in the end light's dad would be on Light's side that would be the thing of like that gets l killed is that l thinks light's dad's gonna take his side but at the end of the day he's like he's my son because, like, you have to do the thing that would be the opposite of what the anime would do. And then there's a flashback scene where where um, Light's dad says, You know, I had to sacrifice my police girlfriend before I met your hippie mom for a case. Yep. So I know yep. what losing a loved one is like. Yep. I love you, son. I love you, son, would be the last thing Light's dad says before he dies to sacrifice himself for Light. Yeah, and then Light goes, Dad, and then Ryuk goes, Eh. 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 They would not do the memory thing. No, never. 
but they they would not do the memory thing, but they would do some kind of bullshit where light stops being the owner of the Death Note for part of the movie in order to escape getting caught. Yeah. They would keep that part of it. So what the fuck happens when Light is in a coma and then his nurse comes to change out his pillow? Guess he's fucked. Well, he's out of a coma by that point. Yeah, but I have to imagine he's still bedridden. Uh, no, it's fine. Okay. No one's gonna check that pillow. To be fair, he should have just been fucking dead from that hype, but whatever. Well, see, the thing is, he wrote in the death note that he survived. I guess. And that this death note can do that. Yeah. Even though they specifically say if something's physically impossible. No, it's fine. Water, yep, water. <laughs> fuck Polly. the fucking flowers! Oh my god! That was terrible, too. Oh, sorry. I'm just getting back into complaining about the movie. But yeah, that's my idea for a sequel. Thank you, Soma, for the tweet. Thank you. Alright, this one's from Boomerang. I apologize if you've already discussed these topics. I haven't watched all of the podcast, so don't feel pressured to answer all of these if you don't want to. Uh, I haven't read these yet, so... Um, one, if there's one licensed property not strictly related to video games, i.e. properties that are primarily books, movies, TV shows, and not primarily video games, uh, that you could choose to have adapted well into a video game, and you could choose how it would be adapted, which property, and how would you imagine that adaptation to be? Hmm. Hmm. I feel like any of my answers I would have already have something in this vein. You know what I'd actually say? I could go for a good Lord of the Rings RPG. Yeah, that's my answer. So, here's the funny thing. I wrote a blog post. I know. Anytime my fucking blog post. I, I wrote a blog post about that very subject where I, I go over all of the Lord of the Rings games I've ever played and how all of them let me down and I have not had the Lord of the Rings RPG I wanted when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 exactly my answer too. I distinctly remember when Red Dead was coming out, people were like, yo, imagine if they made a Dark Tower open world game and I actually could not disagree any harder. I would never want a Dark Tower Ooh, video the- game. Who the fuck do you know that said that? You know what? It's weird, but, like, actually not even people close to me. Like, I would be on forums and people would be talking about Red Dead and people would be like, man, what if a Dark, like, Dark Tower got a fucking that is open insane. world game? Yeah, I, like, I would never want a Dark Tower game, I don't think. Well, too bad, there's already been one. Yeah, it was like a weird, like, text-based MMO thing. Yeah. It's like a mud. <laughs> um, number two, I've often thought that the, and I hesitate to call it this so to not offend anyone who likes them currently, degeneration of Square Enix has primarily been due to the exodus of the developers behind some of their most beloved works. Sakaguchi for Final Fantasy, Yasumi Matsuno for FF Tactics, Tetsuya Taka, uh, Takahashi for Xenogears, among others. Um, then he says in parentheses, this is why I think Dragon Quest is still going strong, much of the original team is still working there. Personally, I'm a little too cynical to have much hope for most of the company to deliver the games I like regarding most of their properties, which is why even if they announce a proper sequel to something like Final Fantasy Tactics, 
Uh, and then he says in parentheses, not ragging on the advanced games, I would be a little cautious to get my hopes up. That being said, people like Yuji Hori and Yoko Taro are still going strong today. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think there's still reason to be optimistic for future titles, and should people be excited for long-awaited titles despite many of the creative minds behind those original beloved games being gone? Uh, and then parentheses, I didn't mention Nomura because it takes like a million years for his games to come out, LMAO. <laughs> um, I do want to say one thing real quick. Mm-hmm. The, um, I think that's a fair I- idea, naturally, which is if a creator you like leaves a company and you find that that company's work no longer appeals to you, then you can probably make a pretty d- direct line there. Um, however, a uh, video game is made by a lot of people. Um, yeah. I've always, I've always disliked the idea that Sakaguchi is the creator of final fantasy because to an extent he is sure, but um, there's still a lot of people involved that, were involved in those games that are still around. Um, like, I, I see a lot of people talk about, like, oh, well, you know, the Final Fantasy VII Remake can't be good because Sakaguchi's not here, but, like, I, I mean, the script, like, the scenario writer of Seven is still there, you know? Like, like there's a lot of people that worked on those games that are still around. Um, that being said, um, one, I... I think Sakaguchi had a lot of problems as well. Uh, but two, uh, I feel like personally, I think the Square Enix issue, and if you don't know me personally, this is coming from someone that I do still like a lot of their modern work. I liked Final Fantasy 13 quite a bit at the time, and uh, I thought 15 was pretty decent despite being flawed. Um, obviously, I don't think either of those are as good as, say, 6 or 7, but. I think the issue with Square Enix isn't just that, like, oh, the people that made the good Final Fantasies are gone. I think it's more that, as a company, um, they've struggled to find where the series should belong in a modern context. And every time they make a mainline Final Fantasy, they are trying to rediscover where they think it should be. You know, can I can I expand on that? And this is a problem yeah, that I think I can trace back to twelve, even, which is a game I love a lot. But I can see signs of it starting there, and getting worse in later games they make. And this even goes beyond Final Fantasy. So they very clear Final Fantasy is a thing that it has to be the big technical thing if you're making a mainline one. It has to be the hugest thing on earth. Yeah. Um, it has to have a mass appeal because of that. I feel like, you know how you constantly hear about movies that get ruined because test audiences are like, this is stupid, or they need to, like, make it as mass appeal as possible? <clears throat> Dark Tower. Really? Um, I feel like Square Enix has some of the worst, like, video game equivalent of that, where I feel like they kind of try to appeal to such a wide demographic that they kind of take the edge out of some of their ideas sometimes. Um... I think the worst example of that is actually Vaughn from FF12. Mm. He is so clearly not the protagonist that they were forced to make the protagonist, and that sucks. And I don't think there's anything as egregious as that in, say, like, 13 or 15, but I think there's still stuff in those games that, like... I I feel like in a weird way, like you said, Final Fantasy is trying to find its identity again in a weird way, but also, like... 
it gets lost in trying to appeal to the West a lot too in very odd specific ways. It's totally. weird. I think part of that also is, I mean, Final Fantasy has become probably more popular in the West than it is in Japan, at least from what I've seen. I, I, I don't have the numbers. That's kind of just how Japanese games are going as a whole, though, now, to be fair. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, like, Record Keeper is probably big over there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, like, that, I, like, I agree with what you're saying. Also, I do think to establish more on the, it's got to be the biggest thing, um... Video game development is in an awkward place right now where, like, we we obviously make fun of, like, how long it takes Square Enix to get some of these games out. But um, it is an expensive, difficult, long process now in a way that it didn't used to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like on the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation 1, um, the fact that they could churn a game out in a year and it be fine allowed them to be more experimental and be okay targeting what was at the time a a decent following um, because it costs so much money to make these big games. I think that is pressuring them to, you know, hey, it took Final Fantasy XV this long to come out. We need it to appeal to this many people. So we can't really try to have like a retro throwback like Nine was, you know? Yeah. I, I think like these are some of the things that, are causing Final Fantasy to struggle. And when I say struggle, it's an interesting thing, because, I mean, 15 was a hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people liked 15. Um, a lot of people didn't like 15, but a lot... I, I would say 15 had a more positive reception than 13 did, for sure. Definitely. Um, and it absolutely sold well. I think so, also, too... Um, this is a little ahead of its time... Um, the compilation of FF7 proves to them how much, like, cross-media shit can really fucking go. Um, to the point now where, like, God, they announced fucking Pocket Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, uh, oh, God. Um, which, to be fair, I want to actually try that out, because, hey, it might be a dumb thing to kill some time with at work. The mm. first episode's free, so fuck it, you might as well. But then, like, there's this Assassin's Creed Final Fantasy XV DLC thing coming out. It's ridiculous. Timed exclusive DLC, so if you don't get on that, you miss your chance. Yeah, and, like, also there's, like, the cup noodle shit in FF15, which is cute and funny, but also, like, kind of, like, man, that would have never happened in, like... Yeah, totally. Um, it, It's just kind of much. Some Or, like, even... I get those... Like, there's another mobile game that's, like, a... Is it, like, a castle defense type thing for 15 now too yeah it's apparently garbage yeah which like i i see mobile ads for that all the time and people like it sucks uh and then there's like the free downloadable beat em up there's gonna be the fishing vr game mm-hmm. there's a dlc for that game that is a third person shooter um it's ridiculous they're patching in a multiplayer mode yeah, it, like it, it's uh, a lot it's a of huge, stuff. Like online multiplayer thing that's got its own separate story. It's so like it's, like, yeah, it's a lot. And honestly, too, like hey, I feel like that's kind of going to be the way a lot of more 
of these types of big budget Japanese games go, and like honestly, like I'm kind of not down for that. It, it's it's hit or miss for me because on one hand, I if the game itself grabs me, I, I do feel like I could enjoy the idea of like coming back to it and getting all these upgrades. On the other hand, there is part of me that misses when like, hey, Final Fantasy VIII is out. And it was just Final Fantasy VIII, you know? Yeah. Like, that was it. It was one thing, and it was over, and it told its own thing, and then it was done. And, like, yeah, we're living in an era where that idea is dead. I also Beca- feel like... And, and I don't think it's necessarily a creative issue, too. I, I think it does come down to, like, Final Fantasy fifteen costs too much money to let it just be the one thing. They need to make it a bigger thing. I think an uh, underlying problem that I feel like is going to eventually happen, and I see more and more people just from a personal perspective jumping in on this, that, that like when I say personal perspective, I mean people that like I like look at on Facebook and Twitter and stuff that are like not super into games. More and more of those people are starting to realize, hey, if I don't give enough of a shit about being there day one, I can wait two to three years to get the Game of the Year edition that bundles everything for 30 bucks. Yeah. And I think that's going to start to become a real problem for this type of business model soon if they don't do something. Perhaps, but I am a proud owner of the deluxe edition of Final Fantasy XV with the Kingsglaive Blu-ray, so there will always be people like me out there, too. Yeah. Um... Man, you know, I was thinking while we were talking about this just now, but, like, that compilation of Final Fantasy VII thing is also part of the problem in which, like, Square Enix is in a situation where they've done so much varied stuff that they can never please everyone now. Yeah. And, like... Well, I've had to been that way since Seven. I feel. Yeah. But, like, even looking at the Final Fantasy VII remake, it's, like... Well, they can't do turn-based because there are so many people now that don't want to turn-based Final Fantasy. And, and like, it seems like that's a crazy idea because so many people in our circle are just, like, dying for just a stripped-down turn-based Final Fantasy. Yeah. But I, I do know, I have personally talked to a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'm looking forward to the FF7 remake because, like, it's going to have better gameplay. It's not going to be some dumb turn-based thing. It's going to look better. And, like, these are the people that, like, like, my cousin, I love my cousin. He won't play Final Fantasy VII, but he loves Advent Children, and he's looking yeah. forward to this remake, you know? It's it's just too varied and big of a series to ever go back to what it was now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that covers it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um... And also, too, uh, actually, to, to to tackle this from another perspective, I feel like even if there is a creative creative mind attached to something, that's not reason to get excited, because, hey, let's look at the Mighty Number no. 9 fiasco. Yeah. Hey, another good example of it's not one person that makes a video game. Yeah. And, hey, like, I'm worried about this. I, I am looking forward to to Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. I'm seeing a lot more people getting kind of down with that game. I, I, I hate the fact that... Have they been showing more and I've just not been seeing it? 
Oh, yeah, they're always showing stuff here okay, and there. Okay, because, because just like, I want to say the past month or two, I'm starting to see more people that are kind of starting to express concern about that one. Yeah, th- there was an interview, oh, man, so, so there was an interview uh, recently that had a couple of snippets of people being like, oh, man, so, like, oh, God, did you see this interview? No. So there's two things in the interview that stood out to me. This is kind of a side tangent, I'm sorry, but, like... It's fine. Um, it's waff. <laughs> yeah, it is waff. Uh, there was one part of the interview where they were like, so you really wanted to, like, make this game because you love these kinds of games. And he was just like, actually, I'd have rather made something different, but the fans really wanted a game in this style. So I figured that would be, you know, since it's like a crowdfunded Ooh. thing, it would be the only thing I could really do. And hopefully next time I can make something I'd rather make. And they're like, oh, okay. And there was another part where it was like, so a lot of people are really praising the fact that you like went for a female character. And he was like, yeah, well, I saw the like social situation in America and figured it would be marketed better over there if it was a female character and it's like hmm nice. i mean like I'm, I'm i'm down with that i guess but also like it's painting the picture of a guy who really doesn't have passion Winging in this project <laughs> yeah. and he's just like well this will sell good i guess so yeah and like i mean to be fair to some extent he's made probably like how many of how many egovanias exist like five or six uh yeah there's quite a few so i could understand at least from a personal perspective like maybe you want to move on but also <laughs> yeah. it doesn't help that konami is never gonna make another one so <laughs> uh just real quick what i brought that him up for was the fact that like he is not the creator of castlevania he is not the only person yeah. that made symphony of the night and he's obviously does have a huge impact on those games but the idea of, well, that's the man where the talent was is the wrong way to look at game development because it takes so many people to make a game. Or... Actually, no, sorry, I wasn't going to say or, but the the other <laughs> thing I was thinking of... Do you, um, you see that recent Metal Gear Survive stuff that apparently was shown off? No, I had didn't have a chance. I saw it being mentioned, but I didn't have a chance to look. Apparently it looks really rough nice like people are saying like shocked that it's made using the same assets from five rough nice so yeah that is the other side of that coin eh hey at least it exists i honestly there's part of me that still kind of feels like that game will never come out but like it's still being shown so i guess it will yeah. I think it was supposed to be out earlier this year, actually, but eh, whatever. Uh, and then he has a third and final question. Now that Breath of the Wild has been out for a while, where would you like to see the series go from here on out? Personally, I would love to see a Majora's Mask-esque twist on Breath of the Wild that utilizes a lot of familiar mechanics, polishes them up, and delivers a more unique experience in a new open world and new involved dungeons, as I feel the side quests like Majora's would really help flesh out the world and some actual dungeons that are more involved than Breath of the Wild's Divine Beast would address some of my issues with the game. That being said, others might feel differently and might like the open-world aspects to stop with Breath of the Wild. Where are your thoughts? Um, I feel like we've talked about this to some extent. Oh. I think I think we mostly talk about this in a lot of episodes of that LP that are not out yet. Yeah. Um, I think it would be not very smart of them to not make the next one open-world. Um, 
I feel like I, I actually kind of still have a video in the works that I've been slowly picking at making that I kind of want to hopefully in the next few weeks get done. Um, I feel like the idea that being able to do all of the dungeons in any order you want is like a good thing is absurd and does a lot more harm than good. I think that feels nice the first time around, and then when you get to the later dungeons and realize, hey, these were made to be done at, like, four hearts, it starts to kind of become boring. Um, I would not be against a future game that is open world that has three dungeons you can do in any order, and then a second tier of dungeons that you can do in any order, and then maybe a third tier of dungeons you can do in any order. Absolutely agree. Um, and hey, also... I am not even against the idea, maybe you start the game, and if you're really fucking good, you can do them in any order, but realistically, new players would not have any idea how to get there. Does that make sense? Like, gate them more, yeah. maybe not all the way, but more of a natural progression. And to be honest, like, people talked a lot about how Breath of the Wild was the new Zelda 1, but Zelda 1 was more like that than Breath of the Wild. Exactly. Like, you could... Like, c- correct me if I'm wrong, like, in Zelda 1, I think there's only, like, four dungeons open to you from the start, really, right? Uh, I don't know the exact number. I know you can... I know you can I, go I, to, like, Dungeon 7, like, right away if you stumble yeah, on it. Y- yes. There are a couple dungeons that are locked behind items, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And then... But even, like, let's say you do stumble into the last dungeon, like, gonna that's going to be wrecked. fucking hard. Yeah, you yeah. can't do... Like, you can, but you can't, you know? <laughs> and to be fair, Hyrule Castle and Breath of the Wild kind of has that, but, like, not as eh. much. The thing about Breath of the Wild is that it's more just a case of the boss is way too long unless you do the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... I, I would like to see a little bit more structure. Um... I do think that, yeah, like, more fleshed-out side quests would maybe do... Like, I like Breath of the Wild side quest a little bit, but also, like... I, I have some narrative problems with Breath of the Wild where I never, ever felt like the, that world was in any danger. They right. keep saying it is, but I show me, you know? Um, and not in flashbacks from 100 years ago. Um... The lack of, like, a central antagonist, I think, is kind of lame for comparatively to other 3D as L does. Um, I would like to see a game that is maybe a smaller and more condensed open world that is just filled to the brim with shit. Almost mm-hmm. as if they took a Bloodborne-esque Yarnum level design. Oof. But yeah, that's just my thoughts. Yeah, totally. And like like I said, we talk about this a lot in upcoming Zelda episodes, so if you want to hear more of us talking about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, hey, there's a Let's Play on this channel. Yeah, we got a good one. It but gets yeah. bad sometimes. Yeah, it's mostly good, though, I think. I say as I'm editing the episode where there's no in-game audio. Nice. Thanks, Boomerang. Thank you. Those were good. Yeah. I've known him since I was, like, 15. Oh, hello. We go way back. <laughs> this one's from Gonzalo. Um, he says, Hello, Rosin and Zach. Hope you're doing well. Seeing as the Yakuza series is slowly remaking their PS2 titles in their modern engine, and Dot .hack is releasing a remaster of GU with a bit of extra content, what other current franchises do you think could be benefited from remaking their older games in new engines just to tell those stories again? 
that's all for now and can't wait to hear this podcast uh hopefully you hopefully before you record another one wink oh um, um i have one that is a wrong answer but i want to throw it out there I just kind of want to see more Prince of Persia, and I could go for a remake of Sands of Time. Hmm. But only Sands of Time. Warrior Within's kind of ass, and, well, it, it's super ass. Um, and Two Thrones, give or take. But, um, I like to see, like, a smoother, better version of Sands of Time in some form, other than the PS3 HD collection we got, which is, like, better, but, like, not what I want exactly. So, oh fuck me! I'd say Dark Cloud one and two actually. Mm, Those games have the, a fantastic art style that would look great as a PS4 game. I feel. So. Other than the PSN classic versions, carry on. The so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Yakuza Kiwami is not exactly the same as an HD version. It's remade entirely in a new engine, right? It is remade with the modern games engine, as far as I am aware. So okay. it's like a real deal remake. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm not a Yakuza fan, as it may be obvious. Um, I want to play them, but I just haven't too many games. So this is a weird... Maybe not exactly the same thing you're talking about, but I, I think what I've always kind of wanted to see is for... Silent Hill 1 to get the remake. And by remake, I mean R-E-make treatment. That would be great. You know, like, hey, Resident Evil 1 got it. I kind of wish that Silent Hill 1 had gotten that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Silent Hill 2 is fine being left alone as it is, but Silent Hill 1 really needs kind of like a makeover. And like, man, a, a remake-style remake of that game where it's like mostly the same but updated significantly with some new shit thrown in would have been really good. And Shattered Memories is good, but it don't count. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. If that character wasn't called Harry Mason, that game would not even be associated with Silent Hill 1, kind of. Mm, I mean, to an extent... um, There are recurring characters and ideas, but... There's a lot of things where, like, the plots mirror themselves in interesting ways, but uh, Shattered Memories is a play on Silent Hill 1 and taking the idea of that game in a completely different direction and turning it on its head. It's not a remake, you know? Yeah, exactly. To the point where I, I do feel like even if you changed those characters, but it was still kind of obvious what they were playing off of, people would be like, oh, hey, Silent Hill Shattered Memories is a cute play off of Silent Hill 1, even if the names weren't one-to-one, you know? Like, yeah, I like, it, it, it. they do things, too, where, like, you know... You, you go from this place to this place, and it mirrors what that character did in Silent Hill 1, but, you know. God, I love that game a lot. Shadow Memories is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it, honestly, it's my second favorite after 2. Like, that game is what got me addicted to, like, I love good flashlights in games. <laughs> For me, it's 2, 3, and then Shattered Memories, but, yeah. Yeah, it's fair. 3's good. Um, Let's see... So thank you, Gonzalo, for that. Um, this one is from G. And he says, Hello, WAF people. Got a bit of a weird question. I've been recently reading a book on pop music and its obsession for the past. Uh, it's called Retromania by Simon Reynolds. Um, in the book, Reynolds notes that many pop acts and music aficionados nowadays seem to have an obsession for the good old days of pop music 
from early rock to 60s psychedelia to techno in the 90s, because back then there seemed to be way more space for innovation and music seemed to be con constantly reinventing itself. Similarly, I observe that a lot of games today seem to rejoice in wearing yesterday's clothes, both graphically and in gameplay, harking back to the good old days of their early consoles, or of the early consoles. A time in which games were simpler but also completely new and, in a way, I assume more impactful on the lives of those who played them due to their novelty. But the game industry is way younger than the music industry and still tries to expand in brand new territories. Take the VR yet the retro vintage phenomenon. Um, while by no means overwhelming, is surprisingly strong. Uh, how would you explain its presence, or do you think that I'm exaggerating its importance? Do you think that the parallel with Retromania and music holds, or if it's a different thing? Um, I think it's a different thing, considering the fact that I feel like a lot of the retro throwback of what we are currently in is the direct result of, hey, it's cheaper to make indie games that way. Yeah, that's definitely part of it, for sure. Uh, I mean, to be fair, you get shit like Shovel Knight, which, like, do it super intentionally, but I do think there's a lot more indie games that people would like to give credit for that are very clearly just doing pixel art because they don't have the money to do anything else. Um, I feel like a good thing to, like, kind of know with this... I mean, we're kind of seeing more of them in recent years, but there are very clearly people not going back and trying to do low poly, like low polygonal games, you know? Like, you don't see many PS1, Nintendo 64-ass throwbacks. You see a few, Man, but not as many as you would want. I, I, would, I would love for there to be, like, a new ps1 final fantasy style rpg you know i've honestly been surprised nothing like that has happened i'm there's this game called something of the zodiacs that's apparently like um basically just like a, a like final fantasy tactics but not and has like some like board game mechanics i've been meaning to check it out but um yeah i don't know i also feel like in the case of a lot of those quote-unquote retro games like a lot of the times, if they're not simple in terms of gameplay, like, they are innovating forward in terms of, like, having really interesting mechanics or more advanced mechanics that would not have been possible on the old systems altogether. All um, and it's just kind of a graphical type of thing, and, you know, a lot of times chiptune music is also, like, you know, just kind of goes along better with that. Yeah. I do think a lot of it, too, does come down to, like, nostalgia and wanting to create what you grew up on but i definitely think that finances is also part of that yeah i think it's a uh, definitely both um because if anything i think AAA games has the opposite problem of they try going too forward too fast and don't think things through yeah that's definitely true uh but yeah thanks for the question g and then we got one final one from chris since the Death Note movie is out, what other animated Western adaptation would you like to see? Maybe a live-action Gundam movie with the real budget, uh, Cough G Savior, which is a reference to the actual live-action Gundam movie, which is horrible. Um, also, am I the only one here who sees 2B when I look at the number 28? I think I have nearsightedness. Badoomsh. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've thought about this a lot. I don't think I want any live-action adaptation of an anime anymore. It'd be pretty cool to get a Death Note movie. <laughs> eh. 
Um, man, okay, so here's the thing. And, and this is going to be just a me personal thing. <laughs> this is going to sound so stupid. I'm kind of over movie adaptations of long things. Just because it's like... You're going to ruin it. You're like it'll never capture what people liked about the original thing. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're in an era right now where like there's no reason you couldn't do a TV show. There's no reason the Dark Tower sh- couldn't have just been a show. Same with the current thing, like it coming out. It hey, if that Death Note thing, I mean no, the script was bad, but like Death Note could have been a 13 episode miniseries. You know, like it could have yeah. been. Um. In terms of Gundam, it's funny. I, like, I've been thinking about, like, how could they do an American live-action Gundam? Like, I was thinking about this the other day. I've thought about that before, too. The conclusion I came to is a rather... It's a it, it's a rather uh, bold stance to take, but mm-hmm. I think that there would have to be no mechs. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I think it would have to be focus more on the politics and the war drama. I think it would be a space sci-fi, absolutely. But, like, I think in place of humanoid mechs, it would have to be, like, warships. Like, this is... Like, the white base would be the Gundam. Uh, there is an article that I've wanted to... Uh, I wanted to bring into the loop here, because originally, in 1983, there was, in fact, a Gundam 0079 movie script floating around. Um, let me read some of this out, because there's some weird shit in here. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so this is from an article on Zimmerit.moe. I said that, I pronounced that weird, but it's Z-I-M-M-E-R-I-T dot moe. That's literally just dot M-O-E. Um... And it would have had mechs, so here we have a, a little part that says CGI rising. Perhaps the most ambitious aspect was the idea to use CGI for the majority of its effects at a time when it was almost entirely unheard of to do so. What would a big-budget attempt at a CGI mobile suit have looked like in the mid-80s? The company consulted with this in mind was the only one that had accomplished anything like that. Digital Productions, the effects house that finished up work on The Last Starfighter in 1984, which boasted entirely CGI Starfighter battles from a, uh, instead of traditional miniature work. Um, there's some other shit in here that I know... Oh yeah, uh, many characters including their roles, relationships, ages, and names were changed. Amaro is called Amaru. Um... Though, apparently someone admitted this was likely just a mistake. And along with the characters, he is uh, the one who has least changed. Shar is now maskless and is instead called Sha, which is actually closer to his Japanese name, to be sure. Um, is Amaru's 13-year-old brother and is <gasps> envious of the technically-minded Amaru's ability to relate with their scientist father, Tem Ray. Um, Tem Ray is actually changed to Tim Ray. I mean, even though it's one letter off, you might as well. Um, and far from the neglectful and work-obsessed father of the original anime is a pulp hero renaissance man, a known leader, and the inventor of the mobile suit, a legend in the scientific and military communities, and the creator of the runaway megalomania... <laughs> I forgot about this! He's the creator of the runaway megalomaniacal AI program called the Zeong. 
which, if you recall, oh. is the mobile suit that Char uses at the final fight of Gundam. Yeah, yeah. Captain Paulo of the White Base never dies, and there's no Bright Noah to take his place. Oh, no. Mobile suits are colossal, standing over 100 meters tall, closer in size to the uh, things from uh, Pacific Ring, uh, Ring, Pacific Rim than the 18-meter mecha of the original anime. The Federation and the Principality of Xeon are absent. The White Base is instead an overhauled <laughs> manufacturing ship staffed by refugees, their primary em- enemy being the Xeon Corporate Empire and their contracted military known as the Legion. There is no Zabi family, and while the name Ziong suggests the Ziong mobile suit, it instead refers to the AI masquerading as a man which leads the Empire. Even Earth is never mentioned. Oh god. The world of the live-action Gundam script is one of warp drives and alien worlds, rather than of colonies orbiting around a familiar one. Minovsky particles are eschewed in favor of tactics involving holographic deception. There are no new types, though certain characters do communicate telepathically. Jesus. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, it goes way into it. I'll link to this in the description if people want it. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Sean, okay, I'm going to read the ending, though. Shaw and Amaru then fight down increasingly strange and alien levels of the base before falling into a bizarrely otherworldly plane described as Tangui Dali-esque landscape. Uh, the iconic last shooting scene from the finale of the original anime is recreated, except with the Red Zack taking the place of Shar Ziong. Oh, apparently they're called Zacks instead of Zakus. Um, oh, yeah. Floating head escape pod and all. Shah reveals his identity to Amaru, and they duel. The conclusion to the duel is not shown, but both boys return home to their mother after the battle, who reveals that she had not, or sh- who reveals that she had allowed Shah to be conscripted in order to have players against Ziong on both sides of the war. The fuck! After some time has passed, the cast reunites on O'Neill Seven, which I think is supposed to be Side Seven, and mourn their fallen comrades. And it is revealed that the Gundam has been rebuilt into a monument to peace in the Colony Central Park. Oh, man. This is up there with that Akira script that was floating around. Including making the rival characters brothers because they're rivals, I guess, and that's what we do in the West, I suppose. Man, El should have been Light's brother. Oh, my God. You know what? I could see a world where that would have happened. You know? Eh. Like, man, have you, you... You've seen Akira, the movie, right? I actually have not... Oh, have you read the manga? Like, nope. Or anything? Oh, okay. You should you should at least watch that movie. It's good. Yeah, I should. Um, there's literally a part of like this will mean less to you, but they like I said they changed the rival characters from that story to be brothers, and there's a part at the end of the movie script where a giant explosion happens, which to be fair also happens in the movie, but it then cuts to the the brother's mother saying, never forget. And then it cuts back to this explosion. (laughs) (laughs) And that piece of the script has stuck with me forever as like, you have no idea what the fuck you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, that would have been what live action Gundam would have been like in 1983. It probably would have been terrible. Yeah, probably. Um, I feel like 
Gundam would be a weird thing to do live action because I almost feel like you'd have to do a Band of Brothers style thing but in space with giant robots and I think that immediately is unsellable to a western audience. That's why I said you got to cut the robots. Yeah, and at that make, point make it about point? ships. Make it about ships. I guess. I I mean the thing is so like to me the mobile suit fighty robots thing is like a side benefit of Gundam. I'm way more interested in like... It's, the, it's a war the, drama before it's a giant robot thing. Yeah, I'm way more interested in the politics and the drama and the characters and all that stuff and so I feel like I could you see could that translate working. that. Yeah. yeah you, like, all you have to do is just be like, oh, instead of like, yeah, man, this new mobile suit's gonna kill all those other mobile suits. It's just, it's just a fucking spaceship. The new spaceship is gonna be the best spaceship. Yeah. They've already got White Base as like a... a cool thing you know mm-hmm. i think it could work i think a lot of people would hate it but i think it could work yeah that's the other thing too more and more i think we're falling into the idea and i talked about this in the dark tower spoiler cast but like i think people are getting too obsessed with the idea like it has to be a direct adaptation but like motherfucker wizard of oz is one of the best movies of all time it's not yeah like totally. Say what you will about a lot of, like, classic... Like, fucking people love The Shining. That's not word-for-word the book, you know? Yeah. Well, the book's better in that example. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I agree, too, but also there are a lot of people who will not, you know? (laughs) For sure, for sure. That's why I opened our Death Note segment the way I did, because I wanted to establish that I wasn't just complaining about that movie because it was different. I was complaining because it was bad. It's actually just bad, yeah. Yeah. And hey, to be fair, if that Dark Tower movie had been good, I wouldn't have given a fuck it wasn't an adaptation of Gunslinger. Totally. I still enjoyed that Dark Tower movie, as bad as it was. Yeah, I got my enjoyment out of it. But I can like a bad movie, so... Yeah, exactly. And it's a very different... It's so amusing that we had two podcasts like this back-to-back where, like, you could see the difference in The Dark Tower was a bad movie but enjoyable, and Death Note is a bad movie that is just bad. My teenage years are coming back to me. It's really bad, man. I'm scared about (laughs) .hack. I'm really scared about .hack. Yeah. Well, that's all she wrote. Uh, that's all, that's not all she wrote, because in, on the, on the other page, it was a, a message that said, don't trust Rosin, he's not your pet or your friend. Oh. Oh, oh, I was gonna play a Death Note song, but here's a Pizza Hut ad. Fucking fantastic. Oh. Yeah, I'm not even gonna play the song now. It was gonna be Coda. That scene where Misa jumps off the building. Yeah, I know the song. Yeah, that's a good song. Wait, Misa doesn't jump off a building. She, like, goes on top of the tower, and it's super clear that she's going to jump off that building, bro. No, but in the opening scenes, it's a bridge. Oh, my God. Did you know that that scene was... Fuck you. (laughs) Finish your sentence. (laughs) No, no, no. Okay. You got the point. I guess we're done. <laughs> long, long time WAF listeners will know that that was something that was referenced before on this show. Oh, I don't even remember that. I guess I'm not a long time WAF listener. <laughs> yeah, you, the one who has probably listened to it more than anyone else as you edit it. Yeah, probably. God, fuck Death Note. <laughs> <laughs>
No potato chips. No according to plan. I wasn't expecting them, to be fair. I thought maybe we'd get maybe a cute nod at something, but... No. Just apples. Sakujo. <laughs> <laughs>